Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bluefish Design in Tempe, Arizona. Bluefish Design is a full-service marketing ad agency. They can work with you on your logos, your branding, your rebranding, your interactive and digital media. I mean, whatever it takes to take your company to the next level. They're young, they're fun, they're hip, they're fresh. Check them out online, www.bluefish.com. That's B-L-U-F-I-S-H.com. And now for today's episode. This is a fun one. We had a chance to actually take the podcast on the road for the first time. Uh, we drove out to California to record with our friend Dermot Hutton, who owns Firehall Brewery in Canada. We had a chance to record at his parents' house in Indio. Uh, so, of course, there's a few interruptions, a couple phone calls, a couple kids yelling in the background, a lawnmower, and maybe like a mother-in-law in the fridge or something. So, hope you really enjoyed this episode. We had a lot of fun recording it. Thanks, y'all. Enjoy. Get a little bit of uh, landscape lawn, lawn noise. Yeah, <laughs> lawn boy. <laughs> lawn noise. Lawn boy. <laughs> Not thirty-five minutes. <laughs> that is hilarious. Did you actually ever listen to that lawn I boy? I did. It was awesome. I love when they do like the one-offs that are. Like, You'll never hear that again. No, not at all. Um, the when they did the llama in the slow jazz version. I don't know. Did I listen to that one? Because you know the song llama. It's super fast. They do the whole song in like a minute and a half. Yeah. They slowed it down to like. Um, Postmodern jukebox was that swing during the Baker's Dozen or was that no that they, was in the fall tour they did it in the fall tour yeah. and somewhere in the Midwest I think they did it um, I remember seeing it on one of the notes but I haven't listened to it yet have you done a fish themed beer yet no but I do follow one I can't remember the name of the brewery out of the states and they have like on the bottom of their treehouse is it Treehouse probably. where they, they had a Julius reference yes. and they had it's a probably Treehouse. They yeah. just they just released the this is what space smells like. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Yep. And then tr Treehouse for SPAC a couple of years ago, the on the bottom, the code for the beer, it just said SPAC 7513 or 75617, whatever the date was. I, I like when people do actual like fish references or certain modern references with their beers that maybe the everyday person isn't going to notice, but some people do. Yeah, Plus, I would pick up on it, but yeah, there's not a lot of people out there that just that would, he's done that a couple times where he's just picked up on something randomly and just giggled. He's like, "Huh, fish." <laughs> I always like it when I'm in a restaurant or something, and I and all of a sudden a fish song comes on. There was a fellow that worked for the Canucks when uh, he was actually the DJ for the Canucks when I was working there, and he was a big fish fan. He'd throw in all kinds of fish tans while the Canucks were taking their breaks and stuff. I heard a fish song for the first time like a few months back, actually pop up on a radio, or I guess in this case, Pandora. And I'm sitting there like, okay, I know this is fish, but it doesn't sound anything like it at all because, you know, it was three minutes long <laughs> and it just ended. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's an actual song. It's not them playing yeah, they live. Didn't. They never really had very many on the radio, but. Well, that's the thing is they'll do the studio versions on the radio. So, like, I'll hear Down With Disease sometimes on the radio. And, yeah, it's a very produced version of the song. It's not the one that we're used to. Right. Plus, often, I think the studio stuff, it moves a little faster. Like, the tempos are always a little different. And they're over fast. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, there's a brewery by my house that plays fish a bunch. There's a the Broad House will play fish in there. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, there is a like a Pandora station or like one of those serious restaurant stations that fish is really heavily integrated into, like some of the restaurant channels out of nowhere. Yeah, we have Sirius in our minivan. And it's always Channel Twenty Nine for me. 
jam on. I always wonder, because you guys have to deal with something different. We have to deal with ASCAP and... Uh, I can't remember, like RCIAA, the people is who the you got to pay money yeah, to, in, to do that. In Canada, it's uh, SOCAN. And actually, they called the... I think it's SOCAN. Yeah, it is. They called the brewery because they do like music rights plus live music as well. And uh, we had, had a band play, and he must have actually submitted whatever it, to SOCAN. Most artists don't use it because they have to pay for it. And SoCan sent us a bill for like thirty bucks, and I was like, I don't <laughs> even know where this comes from. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I get nervous. But technically, every now and then. if you don't pay them, like they can come into a restaurant or a bar and be like, uh, no, yeah, turn it off. Our place, they'll uh, fine you a huge amount of money, and then eventually they can, I guess, I'd imagine, take you to court for not ever paying anything. It's really ridiculous because we got to pay. I think it's like seventy dollars a month to uh, well, do that our sounds Pandora high. business. Oh right, yeah. And there's also some. Like when you're in a bar or a movie theater and you're showing movies or you're yeah. paying for UFC or whatever happens to be, you're going to be paying a premium for and, it. And just using like a fish song or something like that on a label, they can't come after you that because if you just put Julius on it, like it's just, hey, I just named it Julius or this is what space smells like. Fish doesn't yeah. own that. You don't, you're not saying this is fish beer. Right. You know, I mean, that's one something we talked about the hoser. I'm like, I still couldn't believe you got hoser. Yeah. And hoser is something that's not really... I mean, no one's come after us for using it, and we've been using it for three years. And, I mean, we didn't, like, patent the name, and I don't know that you really could because Hoser is something that's sort of intrinsically Canadian, and it would be like Bob and Doug McKenzie from Strange Brew back in the 80s sort of dubbed the term Hoser, and I think anything could probably revert back to that. I was going to ask you about that. Like, so was that a common term in Canada or was it a term that kind of became popular because of the movie? I think it became popular from the movie. And then that was once Strange Brew went out there, Canadians were kind of. Is this that movie you hosers. showed me the other day? Oh, yeah. I w- yeah. I, I, <laughs> Did I th- you watch it? He, he showed me uh, the top 10 funny clips from it. I couldn't understand half of it. I was Rick, like, wow, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis and. Uh, speaking out I the side of his mouth, you hoser. <laughs> You actually did that pretty well. Yeah, you did. My, well, being that like my, I grew up in summer in Canada, the accents get very thick depending on where you're coming from. But I was closer to Quebec, so we got a lot of the French-Canadian accent going With on. a little bit of Manitoba and Ontario. In <laughs> and a too. lot of bit of pretentiousness. <laughs> I feel like we didn't do this right, though. We should have watched the movie before we came and actually did the show with them. No, it's it, good, because I'll just be standing here like, uh, I know what you're talking about, I just never saw it. It was like a childhood rite of passage. Like, you had to, had to watch it. And the... Brewery where like uh, Mount, uh, what was Eisen Eisenor uh, Brewery? That was that's actually Kokanee Brewery, which was an independent brewery that started in BC and sort of took BC by surprise. It wasn't even really a craft beer. Kokanee, if you drank it, would be like a Budweiser or Molson Canadian at the <laughs> time. It was though just kind of a step above. And I can remember one of my friends, his older brother, would take his motorbike across the border to BC just to be able to buy Kokanee to bring it back into Alberta. And, and that was the... I've never heard of this beer. never heard of it either. Yeah, it, it used to actually come down to the States. It was... I don't know that it does anymore. Because I could remember I was getting mad because I could buy a six-pack of uh, Kokanee in Alberta for 12 bucks, And down here, it was always like seven ninety nine. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> three bucks cheaper. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. It, because it, your taxes it, are crazy high, though? Our, our taxes are crazy yeah. high. Yeah. Well, it's well known that the busiest wine retailer in the United States is the Costco in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's located right next to a private airport, a Scottsdale Airpark, 
a lot of Canadians bring their planes in. They go over there. They buy a ton of wine, collector wine, cult wine, French wine. They put it on their plane and just bring it back to Canada with them. Because it's so expensive in Canada. It is the only place I've seen magnums of bottles I didn't think actually exist. Like I saw Lafitte Rothschild three liter there, which I didn't think they made. I saw Johnny Walker bottles that were like three to five liters of blue. And you go in there sometimes and they're all gone. So clearly, yeah, somebody's just throwing them on a plane and be like, cool, thanks guys. Well, here's a Costco reference. In When the 2003 Bordeaux were released, I went down to Costco in uh, Bellingham and bought uh, four bottles of 2003 Lafitte Rothschild, brought them back, and they retailed for a thousand bucks in Vancouver, and I sold two of them for a thousand bucks and kept the other two. I was like, well, awesome. That's, that's a hot deal. <laughs> but <laughs> it's crazy. The question is, do you still have them? Uh, no. Because <laughs> I was say, if, you, if you did, you could probably sell them for three times or four times the price now. No, buy a brand both, new fermentation tank. <laughs> both, both, both are gone. I drank one when I should have. And uh, at the time, I had I, I had quite a good selection of, of wine. And I had gone to work. And a girlfriend of mine was at my house. And I came home. And there was about six bottles that were empty that that night and one of them was that one so. i've done the same thing we were just talking about that actually on the show just the other day how m- most of the best bottles that i have i've opened at the wrong time i've had too much to drink i've already had my fair share of wine i've already started the night with three shitty bottles then had a decent bottle and i'm gonna finish the night when i barely remember anything on my best bottle that's the trick start with the best one and yeah i never after that doesn't matter i never go that way i never do it i don't know why like i really need to start doing that at some point all right, so why don't we try to introduce you? Because, I mean, it's kind of a trend now. We just got to BS for a while. It takes about 15 minutes for us to introduce anybody. <laughs> totally. So, so last year, Jonathan and I had a chance to go to the Gorge in Washington. And hands down, it's probably the most beautiful music venue in the United States, if not the world. I mean, it is picturesque. It's beautiful. Whenever I go to these fish festivals, we always start talking to the people next to us and start conversations well, lo and behold, we actually ended up talking to the guy next to us here for about three straight days, drank a bunch of beer with him, hung out, and he owned a brewery. And we were telling him all about how we were going to start a podcast and start this show up, and here we are. You're our first brewery guest now on the show. Honored. Yeah. You're our first Canadian yep. on the show. There's all sorts of firsts. Well, first, we first we traveled first from mobile. Phoenix to Indio yep. to do this, because we were talking for the last couple months. I was trying to get you wine, and you're like, well, I'll be in Indio. I was like, well, let's. how about I not ship it to you? We'll just drive out and do a podcast. I, I started looking at shipping it, and it was just going to be a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. I, it probably will be just as much <laughs> for me to drive here and do that. And I'll be honest, shipping beer and liquor products, they're, they're, they never taste the same. You know, it's the altitude, the rustling around, especially good beer. If it goes through, if say it gets a little warm, a little cold, maybe it didn't get too hot or too cold. However, it still got hot and cold, which maybe messed with the beer, so it doesn't taste the same. You know, I'm, I've got a lot of friends back east. We we do some trading with beers, and they're always better back there. Yeah, we like. I mean, for us, just as a company, we we only ship like our the maximum distance wherever delivering is maybe a couple hundred kilometers. A lot of time in the summer as well. We're basically kegging that morning to get you your product that afternoon so it's it's usually really fresh so are you distributing to any of your local stores at all yeah we do uh all private liquor stores from uh which is right on the u.s border up to vernon which is about two hours north so and then we do most of our that's our bottles and then our draft is sold to us and to 
pubs and restaurants in the Okanagan as well. Sweet. All right. So why don't you tell us the name in your brewery and I'll let you do a little quick introduction as to who you are. Okay. Well, my name is Dermot Hutton and uh, the brewery, uh, our brewery is called Firehall Brewery. We are located in uh, Oliver, BC and Oliver is uh, Canada's wine capital, getting back to a wine reference. All the major red grapes are all growing down in the Southern Okanagan where it's very, very hot. And uh, yeah, no, we've been we've had our tasting room and social house open. It'll be three years this upcoming August, and it's just getting uh, busier and busier. It's been a wild ride, but uh, but a fun one. The brewery business has got to be a fun, fun business. I mean, you could do a lot of for someone who's almost like an artist. You could do so many different things. You can't do that in wine. No, and and to a point for like with beer, for sure you can experiment, and the beer industry in general is very collaborative and very like it was uh, we went to a, a festival for the coffee blonde where we partnered with a coffee roaster and and our friends from wolf tree coffee were like wow we couldn't believe how friendly the beer industry was and then how not friendly the coffee industry was it was like dude that's you know, the same thing in arizona yeah, the coffee people seem to not get along as much no as everybody in the beer industry gets along the wine industry is kind of 50 50 yeah but uh, I haven't really seen any collaborations or anybody do anything with coffee. <laughs> no, and I, you know, maybe that's a recipe specific. The coffee, you know, there's a lot of competition out there. Maybe you don't want to give away your your real secret. But I mean, and people will ask us. We'll go ask other breweries, and they'll basically straight up give you the recipe and say, you know, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. Yeah, you and, are right. There's a huge explosion of that happening in Phoenix, where we're at, is where two breweries do collaboration projects. And then they support each other. They're like, oh, Superstition just did a collaboration project with Wren, and now they're going to sell the products at both of their stores, and they're going to cross-promote, because the way they see it, if you win and I win, we all win. Oh, exactly. But I guess with coffee, it doesn't work, because it's like, you, you have your coffee in the morning. It's not like... Coffee seems to be very localized up to a point where, like, I'll come down to your place, which is about five miles from my house, to drink Wren beer, but I drink only the coffee within 30 seconds of my house or my work. And I'm not going to venture to go try some coffee shop on the other side of the valley or something like that. And I think in like it was my my first year marketing class at BCIT where uh, the the teacher was like, coffee the allegiance to coffee is minimal. And Starbucks' original goal was to have a Starbucks within like two blocks of every Starbucks so that you could walk out of your house and hit a Starbucks and not bump into anything else. Yeah. And that's like it, it. Like your loyalty is. Maybe if you're walking for five minutes, you pass two coffee shops, and it's the third one that's yours. Much past that, you won't go for it. Hey, if there's yeah. three breweries on a street, I know that I'm going to be very particular about that brewery. If it, there's three coffee shops, I might be a little particular, but as a general rule, I'll be happy going to all three of them. Unless one Starbucks. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah. you might be just as happy going to all three breweries. I was just going to say, I'd, I'd venture to all. <laughs> three I will definitely breweries. be happy after all three breweries. <laughs> well, that's that's it. Like uh, where where we are, we're the only brewery in. Like we were down in my wife and I were down in Seattle um, in November, and there's a little area there where there was about eight breweries within a, a two block radius, and they all sort of marketed their area this in the same to be, you know, walk around, go try everybody. And Port Moody Ales, where uh, Danielle and I, uh, sorry, in the Lower Mainland of Vancouver, there's four breweries that built literally side by side and they go to festivals and market themselves individually but also as a unit so like when they go to vancouver craft beer week and there's 100 breweries there 
those four breweries are together and then they set up games where everyone plays and you know they've sort of adopted that and really created an area where there wasn't anything there before which is really cool too that's really cool or you have like drake's for their apocalypse their big uh release party drake's will have 10 tents at the drake's brewery but then there's also 20 more tents of all the other breweries that they allow to set up and still promote their products too because once again i guess if everybody's drinking everyone wins yeah, it is a happy industry. I mean, you do want everybody to do well. They only want to crush the people who are, you know, the Bud Lights and the Coors, or in your and, case, and that's, Molson's and, and, Labatt's. and Labatt's. Exactly. And I mean, I mean, Budweiser is 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 huge. And I'll go to a liquor store and do tastings, and like I'll be tasting three different beers, and everyone comes up. Oh, I love this beer. They'll go grab one from the fridge, and then they'll walk two coolers over and grab an you eighteen pack of old yeah. Milwaukee or whatever happens to be. And that's a price point thing. <laughs> And you know we've we've we did do some canning of the backdraft blonde uh, in the spring of uh, last year, and we're going to do it again this year, where we bring in a mobile canning line, and and just can a whole whole couple of batches really, and then that gets us through the summer. And that and the price point of cans comes down, but like the bomber pricing, you know, I don't know what it is in the states, but in Canada it's six fifty to you know nine bucks for something that's been sitting in a barrel for nineteen years or I mean, that's, months. That's really good. Most farmers that I remember when I worked at Wine Warehouse, they were ranging between twelve and I mean you can get the holy crap high end ones at like thirty something dollars. Um, but yeah most of them were above twelve bucks is the ones I saw. I mean I, but those are bigger guys. I'm not sure about the craft guys around us. But even the cans, those cans from Renhouse, those are five dollars a can. I mean, those are those are right t- from the brewery. Those are twenty dollars, <laughs> yeah. twenty dollar four packs. Huh? Yeah, we don't have that in BC. There's from a beer perspective, price point still plays a, a massive role. I mean, I, I always find that the states is probably a good. There's the telephone. <laughs> uh, the states is a, a, always a good. Has been five six seven eight years ahead of where we are in canada as a our craft beer culture it's taking off exponentially now but it's it's still what was holding you guys back because in arizona they opened up a lot of like uh lower taxes and they lowered the cap of what you had to start making with and then it kind of exploded from there also on the top of everybody was just getting tired of the big brands tired of the big brands is one thing i mean taxes for us uh, haven't changed and are, are still a real hindrance. I mean, one of the the best things that they that the government in BC has done in the last sort of year and a half. It used to be, say, if I was going out to do a a load of deliveries on a Thursday and I had ten thousand dollars worth of beer in the truck, I go and I drop the ten thousand dollars worth of beer in the truck, and when I got back to the brewery, I'd literally have to give the government ten thousand dollars, like the whole the total of the order. They would then hold it for two weeks and then deduct the portion of tax that we owed and reimburse us the rest. Wow. Which is very prohibitive if you're... That you know, sounds shady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's a lot of mischecks. Wow. <laughs> well, no, and it was just, depending on the time of the year, it could be really prohibitive in terms of, like, that's a lot of cash to, to not have in the bank account to do other things with. So it really limited us and smaller breweries. If you were big, that you didn't have to worry about $10,000. You could do it, but there was a big lobby from the, the Craft Brewers Guild, and it, it made headway, and they've changed it, so now we just remit our portion. It's still, I mean, BC has one of the higher taxes for, for liquor and beer, and like for a distillery perspective, it's even higher. I just find that crazy that you would have to give the government your money, 
then they reimburse you. That that would not fly <laughs> in the USA. There is no I don't even know how it flew way. in BC for so long. Like it just makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, we have to file a report. Our winery, because we're small, we have to pay our taxes. I think it's every quarter. So like every three months we do our taxes. Yeah. I know the big, huge, massive conglomerates have to do it like every it's either two weeks or every month, but they have to do them quick because they're, you know, they're making millions and millions in taxes. So it's kind of like, okay, where do you go from there? I mean, I, I like the small guys are probably doing really well, paying little amounts of money. So that way you can just dump it all back into your inventory, which but, is crazy. Like that you guys have $6 beers and I'm thinking about our guys and I'm like, why am I paying 12 bucks for my beer? <laughs> I mean, small businesses is all about cash flow too. Like yeah. the last well, thing I do is was, sell your entire batch of beer and be like, well, the government's got to hold my money for two or three weeks. Like, no, it, it was really, it was really, really tough. And for it to be changed, I mean, it was a miracle. I thought like it, and, when we like it was there were days where it was just like oh, we'd have a big delivery date and then you just sort of cross your fingers that we can skate through payroll and do everything else until you get Ugh, another yeah. $10,000 back in the bank account and but anyway the hoser yeah. which we were talking about this beer we brewed originally it was called the hoser light um, this beer is delicious in in Oliver where uh, where we are a small town 5000 people it's a half retirement community half just <laughs> winemakers. <laughs> there's a lot of wine for sure. Um, but when we first opened our doors to the public, we had the backdraft blonde, the stoked ember, and another beer called the Holy Stout. The smoked stout is our sort of three uh. major beers. The backdraft blonde in our idea was like that'll be our lightest expression. And people still were like, Oh, I still want my my Molson Canadian or whatever it was. So we brewed this, calling it the Hoser Light, and it was down at four point three percent. And we did it the first time at that, and then we found we could never Brew it back down to that alcohol percentage. It was always coming out at five, so then we just scrapped the light from the title and uh, and the hoser began. I think that's relatively good. Five percent. I mean, five percent is nice. It's still light. It definitely comes off light. I've had some pilsner recently that they do their double pilsner, and it's just a real. It's still a big beer, but this is really nice. This is designed for like. 35 degrees for Celsius. For your two months of the year. <laughs> uh, Celsius, we're, yeah. We're, as if anybody listening is knowing. Like, okay, so that, that's like, we get where we are. We're in the high 90s uh, for probably oh, love it, July and August. And then we're in like the the low 90s to high 80s for June and September. And I mean, we get a lot of, the weather where we are is really nice. But this, this beer was for us, it's like on a hot day with it's perfect you can either reach for a, a Budweiser or a hoser and you know it, 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 since we've brewed it it's it's originally it was just going to be like a two and done kind of thing and now it's it's on the permanent yeah, it's permanent, permanent. Yeah. so do you consider this the, your flagship beer out of the brewery mm -mm. this is like our gateway beer okay for the people that are scared <laughs> of and, and we come like our town is very much like a Molson Canadian Coors Light and they found the blonde to be a little bit too much. And so when we moved to this, it was like, oh, okay. We were, we're, and they, people would come in and they come into the beer shop because we have a social house as well. Where there's a real big gathering place. And they start with the hoser. And now these guys that were, and ladies that were coming in drinking hoser, they're drinking stout, they're drinking IPAs. But it was, awesome. it was just bridging that gap. Yes, you have. You yeah. can't just go from drinking blue lights to imperial aged barrel aged stouts. Exactly. Like you gotta do a little something in the middle. Yeah. Well, maybe you can, but it, it typically doesn't work that way. It's like no, no. Your your palate is set. Like my dad is a prime example. Like he's a Molson Canadian drinker. Yeah, dad's a Budweiser guy, and, and he has a hard time 
getting past this. Like that, that's just, you know, you've been drinking it for, for 70, 60 yeah. years. My dad was a Genesee fan and he switched to Labatt's, mm-hmm. you know, growing up <laughs> upstate New York. I mean, was, we drank a lot of Canadian beer in upstate New York. Yeah. Well, it used to be Canadian beer was a big thing. Like I can remember when I was 18 and legal to drink and the amount of Americans that would come up and just go crazy at the time. <laughs> it was like Labatt triple X at 6.8% and everyone would just get the ice beers. Oh yeah. Oh, Molson yeah. ice and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, they made the Bud yeah. Ice for a while. But all my friends from like Buffalo and Rochester, like upstate New York, they love blue lights. Like when we go to fish shows and we meet up with all them, you go to their campsite, it's nothing but blue lights. That's and there it. is a time and a place for those beers. I, I totally get it. Uh, I actually played golf with my dad yesterday and uh, the guys that we were all golfing with, there was 20 of them, sat down and they were having pictures of Bud Light. And that was the first time I've had a sip of Bud Light and probably... At least a decade. <laughs> was it what you expected when you tasted that? I, I went in with apprehension. <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting it to be the best sip I've ever had, but it wasn't the worst either. You know, growing up, I thought Pabst Blue Ribbon was the worst beer in the world. I mean, my father drank it. I hated it. I thought it was gross. And I discovered craft beers. I drank IPAs. I drank stouts. I went back and had a Pabst Blue Ribbon for the first time in like 15 years just recently. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. I was also expecting the worst going into it. So. <laughs> yeah. Pabst Blue Ribbon and I have a bad relationship. That was a restaurant I worked in for like seven years. All of us servers would always pitch in at the end of the night and someone would run across the liquor store and someone would come back with a case of Pabst Blue Ribbon. And (laughs) it was one of those beers that like after like a year of doing that, I was like, okay, can we move on to something else? Got to try something different now. (laughs) So so how does somebody one day out of nowhere just wake up and say, I'm going to start a brewery? That's a good question. I'll, I'll, I'll go back and just lay out where we were at before, before we decided this. Uh, my wife and I, we had three kids, and I was working for the Vancouver Canucks, which is a hockey team in, in Vancouver, and I had a good job. We were renting a place in Vancouver, and real estate prices in Vancouver are some of the highest in, in, in the world, really. And so we're looking to buy a house, and we're, get, we're totally priced out of Vancouver. We're looking at Squamish, which is a beautiful area, but between Vancouver and Whistler. And then we're looking at going east in the lower mainland. And we're like, man, like, I don't want to commute for like two hours a day or three hours a day in traffic. And we met our partner's dad um, in, uh, in Oliver. And we just got on to talking. And he was essentially our partner's partner. He wanted out and he needed help. And we said, well, this might be something that we could work on. So we came back to Vancouver. We talked about it. And that was that. We decided we're going to jump into the beer business. And I mean, my education was wine based. So I, and, and the actual process between. <laughs> it's the audience. It's the audience, right? Sorry, that's, that's, that's my mother in the, in the fridge putting away uh, vegetables, I'm guessing. It's what you get, though, when you do a yeah. live show on the road. Exactly. Get a live uh, live audience. Uh, and yeah, we just decided we'd uh, let's do it. We could afford to buy a house in Oliver. It's a small town, good community. We just moved and learned, and then uh, nice. That, that's that. How many years ago was that? Uh, it'll be three. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That you. I'm assuming the city you're in is the equivalent of like for people listening, like the Napa city of of, the, of BC. Of, of BC. Yeah. 
And you're the only brewery in there. We are the it's beer awesome. of wine country. It's our hashtag. <laughs> so you have all the winemakers drinking at your place, Absolutely. probably. Yeah, yeah. I bet Hozier makes a lot of good Canadian wine. Yeah, I find winemakers, uh, they'll drink anything, really, when it comes yeah. to beer. It, it's just a, the time and the place. And Yeah, I mean, there's a saying in the wine business that it takes a lot of good beer to make good wine. Exactly. You know? I hear that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> because the last thing a farmer wants to do when he's done plowing his fields is to come in and drink a big glass of Cabernet Sauvignon, like hot and sweaty. <laughs> oh, like. yeah. I couldn't imagine like on a 35 or sorry, high 90 degree <laughs> day in the, in the in the vineyards, just sitting down and enjoying a nice warm glass of Cab. That would be uh, pretty and, and from the brewery perspective, like there's a lot of people out there doing wine tastings. And you can only do so much. And then, like, you see the looks on people's faces where they've been... They're at, ready for the beer. <laughs> when they've been at out since, like, 9 o'clock, and they've hit, like, 10 wineries, and then they find us, and they have a cold beer or a cold glass of white wine, whatever it happens to be, and, like, tears in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. We, we do a big event. Uh, well, I'm not with that company anymore, but we did this event called Vin Italy, which is a big celebration of wine in Italy. It's, like, four straight days. It's 15, like, Ikea-sized warehouses filled with wine, and you're tasting wine for 10 hours a day. We got on the bus afterward, and somebody always sneaks a six-pack on the bus. And as soon as you hear that, psh, everybody in the bus like, because <gasps> everyone wants that beer. Like, literally, whoever has the beer is, like, everyone's best friend on that bus. Oh, yeah. We went to, I'll echo the same thing. We did a, a private dinner at a friend of ours' place. He is a chef, and he does private dinners for 18 people. And everyone's got all their bottles of wine, and I walked onto the bus with a couple of six-packs <laughs> of blonde and just... <laughs> And it was the same. Mr. Popular. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants yeah. to be your friend all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. Are, are you designing your labels? Is this something that you have like a friend or a company doing? Yeah, we have a friend, uh, Mike Zally. He's in, uh, in uh, Kelowna. We kind of send him our ideas and he creates the initial draft, comes back to us. We bounce it back. Originally, our labels that we had before were essentially like the bottom of that coaster that you guys looked at, where it was like the picture of our location and we didn't really like that. We just wanted something a little bit cleaner. And, and, and then we went for small batch labels where we just handwrite everything on there, which is labor intensive. But yeah, people appreciate that, though. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I, like, oh, I was going to say, I like that their uh, label has French on it because like how everything we have has Spanish on it. This one has it's all English and French. <laughs> it's by law. Really? Yep. French is the primary language other official language of of canada if if you want to become the prime minister of canada you have to be bilingual do you really yeah oh wow yeah i think if you don't quote me on this but i think if you have to run for any type of major office you need to be able to speak both or provincially and federally i mean it makes sense i mean it's like having somebody run for office in the united states that doesn't speak english i mean you can't have somebody and that's your primary language yeah, yeah that's the thing about america is there is no actual official language it's just Whatever you speak. We've had some prime ministers that are from like Alberta where French is like I grew up in Alberta and, and, and I, I spoke French and learned French in high school and then never used it again. It was like he was basically just reading French. <laughs> he didn't. He wasn't super fluent, but I, I like the way you do the write up on the side, though, over here, though, it adds a little personal touch to the beer. Yep. I mean, that's one thing that people forget about. And one of our winers we're big fans of in California has a something that's very similar, like I don't know if you read the write-up, John, here. Yeah, I did the Bastard, but remind me Bastard Ale. Of, yeah, remind me of some Kurt Schlachkin's like, write-ups. Yeah. Like, it's something, it's a personal aspect to put on the label because so many breweries, they just send it out without having the, the owners of the brewery's heart put on the label, too. And having that little personal touch, I think, is really nice. Yeah, it, I think it's really good design. And with, with our size, I mean, it's virtually, you're guaranteed an owner to be delivering the product as well. So it's a good opportunity to liaise with 
whoever it is, if it's your liquor store customers or or bar customers, whatever. So how many standard beers are you making? Or like how many is like your Well, our main core beers would be the hoser to a degree and then the backdraft blonde, which is our best selling beer by two to one over everything else. Um, then the Stoked Ember Ale, which is kind of like a Northwest Pale Ale, and then our Holy Smoke Stout, which I didn't bring just because the Bourbon Barrel Stout that I did bring was the Holy Smoke Stout that went into the Bourbon Barrel. Oh, nice. So those are our core. In the summertime, we don't really have a lot of time to play around with a lot of stuff because we're just literally like in July this year, I went into the fridge to go do deliveries and there was nothing. And so we're like, we're, we're kegging for me to put it in the back of the truck. We're bottling for me to get it off once a week. It's awesome just, though. Yeah. This summer was the first time we actually didn't have to like short one of our, any of our wholesale customers, which was a real problem. That's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. Cause when we first opened the, the beer shop and social, like we didn't have, we didn't take that into consideration before when we were looking at uh, summertime wholesale clients. So all of a sudden it's like people are starting to buy beer through us where we didn't have that option before. And now, like we've seen it, got our our market go from about like sixty percent wholesale and or eighty percent wholesale to twenty percent retail to now it's about sixty percent retail to forty percent wholesale. So we have to be really conscious about how many clients we can take on for the summer and in yeah. order for us to be able to provide the product to them. If we short ourselves, that's one thing. We'll bring in a guest tap from from somewhere else to put on and showcase their product. But for from a wholesale perspective, you know, if you you'll potentially lose out on a sale again. If somebody takes you off tap, it's really hard to get back on. Yeah. Especially yeah. your mainstream stuff. Like if it's something that is one of your main staples, you should make sure that those people are always taken care of. And you nailed it. It's, it takes sometimes six months to get that tap handle onto somebody's location. You run out of product. It just took five seconds for it to come off permanently. Exactly. And, and that's, that's happened to us. Like uh, we had a, not to bore you with the details, but like we've had customers where we just couldn't deliver and they're like, okay, we'll go find something else. And then it's, you know, a year before we get back on again. And that's aggressively pursuing them yeah. and apologizing profusely. And it's, it's not a pleasant situation. I don't like running out of beer. Logistically, do you have problems getting supplies where you're at? Like, is it like getting like good hops? Is that ever a problem for you? No, we, we kind of pre-order our hops from a, in Chilliwack, which is in the lower mainland, close just outside of Vancouver, uh, the majority of BC's hops are growing there. And they're also a hop broker. And we almost pre-order our hops, like give them an idea as to what our expectations are from them for our proposed plans for the for the wintertime and for our brew cycles. And so we'll have that secured. If we need some obscure stuff for different recipes, it can be a bit of a challenge. But now I'm finding that with the explosion of the craft beer industry in BC in particular, the explosion of hop farms is also happening. It can be a challenge, but we haven't really run into where it's been dire. There's also a hop farm, and there's got to be money in hops because there's a hop farm in the Naramata Bench, which is north of Penticton and like prime time wine growing region and beautiful. Like all the prettiest vineyards and wine companies yeah. are up there because it's stunning. Like you're on the bench, you're looking down over a beautiful lake, and these guys have. I don't know, two acres worth of hop farms in the middle of vineyards. So there's... I mean, I, I really think with the explosion of craft beer in the United States, that that is actually the new, like a gold rush is people doing hops. Yeah. The supply and demand has probably gone through the roof in the last 10 years. 
whatever hops Budweiser and the big companies were buying, I'm sure they were buying pellets. They were buying stuff that was not of the top quality where a lot of these craft brewers, they want to dry hop their stuff. They want to have fresh hops. They want to have stuff that's of quality. So being a boutique hop producer has got to be paying well. Well, I got to ask, I mean, because I noticed like the wine or excuse me, the beers that you brought, uh, obviously there's no IPA here. And in Arizona, I swear, for the longest time, and it's definitely tailing down, there was a plate, there was a time where I felt like 80% of everybody's menus were IPAs. It was just IPA everything. And it was a session IPA and a triple IPA and then a double, triple hopped IPA that they do it through filter things. And you're just like, holy crap, man. Like, I don't want to keep drinking everything as an IPA. No, and we didn't do an IPA for a while. For like the first year that we opened we didn't do an IPA partially because we were still super focused on wholesale and we'd sort of guaranteed our three core beers that and just to free up tank space to to do it and then it's like you know you're talking to people that come through as a craft beer brewery sometimes you're like you're gauged on your your IPA and and that's like the craft beer aficionados out there they love an IPA and I, I love an IPA and so yeah so we did do one and the first time we did one was with that hop farm I was just telling you about in Penticton. We got some fresh hops from them and did a fresh hopped oatmeal IPA called the Stop Hop and Roll, and that was that <laughs> I was that, I like that's that. awesome. That, I, I would have brought some down, but we literally <laughs> sold out a couple weeks ago. How often uh, do hops grow? Is it one time a season? One time a season, and when with with fresh hops, you have about you know thirty six hours at the most, but ideally like twenty four hours from them coming off the vines to to using them. So the opportunity, yeah, you have to be ready to go and you have to be fast. Um, so we did it with fresh hops the first time. We do do a harvest ale in the fall where uh, a friend of the brewery planted uh, wine grapes at his house to provide shade and it didn't really work out. So he planted hops and the hops just totally exploded and went everywhere. So we go to his house wow. and pick like, I don't know, 30 pounds worth of, 40 pounds worth of fresh hops. hops? Yeah, we don't know what kind they are. They, <laughs> That's awesome. There's probably about five or six different. He has no idea what kind they are. And it kind of provides a little bit of the, you know, the nuances of the beer where we really have no idea what the hops are. But, oh, so this one, you'll smell it. This is our... You'll smell uh, it from here. and it's. Uh, th this is a, a local coffee roaster called Wolf Tree Coffee that uh, is in Oliver. And we were going to go down and do a festival. Yeah, we did one... I don't know, two, three weeks ago, where it was a partnership between a brewery and a coffee roaster. And the idea was to do a, a coffee beer. And so we did a coffee blonde ale in hopes that the majority of the breweries there were going to all do a stout with yeah. coffee and something to, to distinguish it a little bit. You're the first person I've ever seen do a light, lighter style beer with coffee. And I appreciate that. Yeah, well, and that was on purpose. We, we didn't want to get lost in the in the porters and the and, and the stouts. And you can see it. it this was about... Uh, we made about a thousand liters of this, which is maybe a little bit less, maybe seven hundred liters. Um, so about thirty pounds of uh, like sort of French press grinded uh, uh, beans went in there and sat in there for uh, two and a half weeks. And we were, yeah. So when you got this, did they? Did you give them the beer and said you guys figure it out, or were they like, "Here's the beans, you figure it out"? No, actually, we went to their house and we did. We we kind of agreed on the beer, um, and that we agreed to do sort of a, a lighter style beer. And then we went to their house and uh, they had like four different types of cold brew, and uh, now we actually have a a coffee uh, named after us from them because I tried a couple of different ones and I said, "Hey, can you put these two together?" Because I really 
want to try that? And they put the two different types of cold brew together. And I said, that's the one. And then now we have a WTF coffee as well. I like it. It's, this is really tasty. It, it is. This is the first time I've had a light blonde ale coffee because every time I have coffee beers, it's always a. Uh, the stouts, the porters, and the only one I know of is the light guy. Was it, is it Hus that has the coffee Kolsch? Ooh, I'm not sure. Oh, there is one, but I don't think I've it's ever had it. It's the only one I've ever had. I like the fact that it's light, but it tastes like, like it's almost like drinking a cold brew. Mm-hmm. It really yeah. is like drinking a cold brew. It the really fact that it's, is. It's light in the palate. It doesn't have a bitterness. Like, you, uh, and it, you just get a little bit of like that hoppiness just to like, and, just hit you in the back of the tongue. And the coffee is so on the aromatics, not as much on the palate. Like, you don't get that bitterness out of it on the palate. Yeah, it really tastes cool. like a beer with coffee in it instead of a coffee with a little beer splashed into it. <laughs> so WTF, Wolf Tree and Firehouse? If Firehall, yeah, exactly. Every, Firehall? We, 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 we put a contest out on uh, on Facebook, <laughs> on social media to... Uh, we get it all the time. There's firehouse. Well, there's a firehouse by. It was firehouse. It had the same almost symbol, and it used to be a bar slash club. Yeah. That's why I, I laughed when you said that. There, there, and there was actually a firehouse brewery at one time too. I don't know out of California somewhere. Dude, the wolf, the wolf tree logo is really cool. <laughs> yeah, they just sort of really came up with that on the spot because we were ready to go to packaging and we needed something to for our label to get designed. So, uh, but yeah, we put the name out there on social media. That was not my. Uh, number one pick for the name, but I was uh, outvoted. I think four to three or four to two <laughs> on the the name design. So, I mean, it does have other connotations. connotations yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not your brewer, though. You someone else does the brewing. Joe, he's our full time brewer. We'll all throw ideas and uh, sort of come up with the recipe. Joe works five days a week. He's in at 7 o'clock in the morning, and he's done it for. Was he your brewer from the beginning? Uh, no. Um, he came on about three years ago. He no real experience. He just sort of came in and kicked wanted to learn and, and kicked ass. And dude, he's, that's awesome. Yeah. No, he's got a real passion. And, uh, yeah, we've lined up some some cool brews for the upcoming next sort of six months. Um, so we'll, we'll be doing some different stuff. As our wholesale... Uh, as we're sort of decreasing the amount of wholesale and increasing the amount of retail, it's starting to free up the creative elements of things. Whereas before we were really, we were really tied to like the five beers that we had to make all year long just to provide to the wholesalers. And now, because we've seen such an increase in our business through the beer shop, um, it's giving us the opportunity to really play around a little bit more. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm really impressed by the beer. I mean, actually, to be honest, the only Canadian beer I've ever had in my life has been Molson's or Labatt's or something like that. I've never actually had a craft beer from Canada. Well, it's not like we're, they're going to make it down. When was the last time you had a craft beer out of any state that made it to Arizona that wasn't a major train That brand? is true. That's why we yeah. work on trades. I yeah, mean, there's not a lot. It's And it's almost the same in Canada as well. Like, you, you, you can't get BC wine down here. Um, I mean... You can't get wine in, in BC. You can't get wine from Ontario, which is even within well, the country is still still extremely. Common. Yeah, we wouldn't buy a place. And I'm a huge fan of Stone Brewery. And I know that's in uh, Escondido. So not crazy far from here. And one of the stores had like two or three ones I never even heard of. And, you know, we get a few from Stone in Arizona and we're one state away. Um, I know you were talking earlier, just, Jamie, and that there's people in San Francisco who couldn't get left hand milk stout, but it's like common to what we can get. That's good stuff. Well, 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 people our age that grew up trading baseball cards, or tr- like as kids, we traded things. Like, oh, I'll give you this, and hey, if you let me have your bike, I'll do this. 
this is just kids trading stuff now as beers. <laughs> I'm finding this where somebody in Minnesota or somebody in Wisconsin goes, oh, I have access to New Glorious Brewing Company. I go, well, I'm in Arizona. I have access to Red House. Like, hey, I'll do a little trade. People on the East Coast are doing this where they go to releases where you're only allowed to buy one four-pack. So people go and this guy gets a four-pack of this, this guy gets a four-pack of this, and then they meet up at a gas station and say, I'll give you two of my beers. You give me one of your beers. Yeah, I like that. I think that's... I, I, I saw that in a brewery in Seattle where they were really smart on social media and they were like, okay, we've got a release coming up. And Danielle and I just happened to be at the brewery. We didn't even know it was going on. And we got there. They opened at noon. We got there at like 5, 2. We sat down and then like five minutes, there was 50, 60 people in line. And we're like, what the heck is going on here? And everyone's just having a beer at the beer shop and getting one bottle and we're like, are we missing something? Like, should, yeah. we be, should we be going up and getting this one bottle? Yeah, that's the way yeah. these these cult people back east, like Treehouse, is one people talk about. That's the one with the fish logos. Yeah. Somebody makes it to the release party and somebody else doesn't. That person now has a bag of gold that they yeah. could trade for just about anything in life. You, know, you show up to a fish concert with, was it the one Pliny the Elder or Heady Toppers? Pine, like, yeah, Pliny the Elder is high, for years. Crazy. It was the Heady Toppers. Like people were selling them out there for like. 20 bucks a can, 25 bucks a can. Like, that's crazy. And getting it, like, not, not even thinking twice. You're like, how much is it? 30 bucks a can? Sure, I'll take two. <laughs> like, <laughs> More expensive than the weed. <laughs> yeah. But that, that literally, you can't buy, if you go to the brewery, you can't buy more than two cans. You yeah. know, it's just the way can it you, is. Can you cross borders with, like, let's say you want to go pour stuff down here and, like, just come across it? Or is, do you have to, like, I would have to a, declare. For, so, I, okay. I, there's a, there, there was a funny, uh, if you're coming, if you're bringing alcohol from Canada into the States, the, if, as long as it's me that's drinking it, the, the customs doesn't really have an issue to it. If it's something that I'm planning on leaving down here, they have a huge issue with it. Mm. Um, there are, I mean, there are Canadian beers down here, so it, it can't be that it's that big of an issue. Um, it just the challenge is like even if you're like and you reference the uh, what was the one from California there the Stone Stone sorry yeah. um, and they've come up a couple times for Vancouver Craft Beer Week essentially the craft beer breweries of America really and most of them are from the West Coast uh, they rent like a big semi truck and fill them with about you know twenty different types of beer and they bring that to the craft beer fest in vancouver is their exhibit and you can go okay. and, and try a whole bunch of beers um it's just there even no you, you might still be a big bc craft brewery or you still might be a big california craft brewery but i mean how many what's the population of california like 20 20, 20 million, million or, it's the, I, one of the top five biggest economies in the world I mean, that's almost the size of canada and that's and and that's just that's your market like good luck getting out to new york like that's just your facilities have to be huge that is one thing that's kind of cool about beer is you know i mean for the most part we could take my or like certain wines and see it almost anywhere with the exception of small guys but beer it's real local like there's a couple wineries that are excuse me breweries that are by me where the only thing you can get is one bomber they make occasionally and then if you want it you have to get a growler and it's a good sized brewery yeah yeah I well mean, that's it, that yeah. just speaks to the the popularity of of craft beer and that like you just you, you can't make enough of it until you get to I mean, even like big companies, like they have 10 breweries across the country that are that are massive and they sustain the market. It's really Um, it's really smart, though, doing small batch stuff because it keeps that demand high. If 
if I have a beer at your brewery that I truly love and I go back again, they don't have it. I'm going to be bummed. But you know what? You when you try something else. I am. And yeah. when you release that beer again, I'm going to be the first guy at your doorstep because now that that want has built up over the period of two, three, four months. Where I'm like, man, I wish they'd bring it back. I wish they'd bring it back. And you bring it back. I will be there. That's kind of like our IPA because we did it the first time and people just freaked out. Like They're like, this is so good. And then it was like four months went by and we released it again. And it was like people were lining up and they had their growlers ready to go. And then uh, and it's been we've done five brews now, I think, of the IPA. This will be our sixth that's upcoming. And literally for the bourbon barrel stout, we did a pre-order. We just said like we only had 250 liters. It was just one barrel. So this is coming pre pre-register and. And it's all yours, and, and that was it. Do you have like a club or something where people like yeah, we did could uh, be members or we started a growler club, um, which was kind of a way to get people to drink in the beer shop. Plus, like it was uh, originally it was twenty five bucks, and that got you a growler and a fill, and then it was like six bucks including tax for a twenty ounce pint in the brewery, and so you got a discount, and and that actually reaped some dividends in that people really at six bucks for. Canadian, that's like four dollars US for a twenty ounce pint. Is, <laughs> that's awesome. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's hard to do like a beer club, I imagine, because you're not going to sit on it. I mean, it's not wine. Where if, like I'm a member of a club that I just got recently, and I'm not going to drink that for ten to fifteen years probably. Versus a beer, if you go in with a growler, you have what three days maybe before it kind of goes. As long as you don't open it, you can, and it's kept cold. I mean, you can keep them in your fridge. I've found some that we I were just lost in one of our fridges. They were like three months old, and they I cracked them, and they were fine. Really? Uh, but if you open it, yeah, you're, you yeah, if you get 24 hours out of it, you're pretty lucky. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know anybody who really sits on a growler and goes down, fills it, and like, well, I'm going to put this in here for the next three months. It's usually <laughs> like, man, we ran out of that last night. <laughs> I mean, the, the beer club at Ren, they do special releases every week. So I believe it's like if you join their club, you're guaranteed a four-pack of the special release. But if you don't pick it up within seven days, it goes into general sales. Yeah, and, and it's kind of the way it works. So you're, you're guaranteed as long as you come and pick it up. And if you pick it up, you're going to get a small discount. And you also get a discount anytime you go in kind of thing. Is the way and it we did that. We, we don't have enough special releases to really make that a value point, but... Um, we did do like a few of our special beers that we've done. We've always opened it up to the, to the beer department first. And uh, like if we do casks and stuff, uh, it's always beer department and it's more of a mailing list too, right? Just to communicate what we have going on in the brewery. Cause so many, so much of the, the membership is, is local. Um, so it's important to get those emails to be able to just, you know, if people aren't, uh, Facebook savvy or Instagram savvy because like half of our community is retirement, but we still want to reach those people. At least e- email is a good way to communicate. So. You do have a good spot where, like I said, you are the only brewery there and your town is, you know, around you so that they could come in. Like if you're in a major city and McFate drops uh, some cool new thing, nobody's really going to come from Chandler, I imagine, to go try it because they have Wilderness down by them or some of the other. I got to drive by 42 other breweries <laughs> to get to that one. Yeah, to get to that one. You got to really like it. <laughs> Oliver, if you've walked for more than like 25 minutes, you've you went you've left town. <laughs> you've, you've crossed half of it at least. So, <laughs> have you done any collaboration projects with any of the wineries? Like, done any wine barrel aged beers or anything uh, like that yet? Sorry, we have three wine barrels in our in the brewery. All three of them have been sort of mixed use between Cabernet Sauvignon and Malbec uh, from a, a winery called Fairview Cellars. Bill Eggert, who owns it, we've got a great relationship with him, and he just gave them to us. And we've done three beers in those uh wine barrels the first was uh 
it's kind of a like a nut brown if you want and similar results to the barrel stout in that when you put beer into a wine barrel there's a likelihood that there's going to be a secondary fermentation that takes place in the barrel the first one we did it was our first example of it and it was like a nut brown that went in and it came out like a a red wine like then those tanks had the barrels had never been used so it was still fresh from the the fir, the the last aging process that happened in the barrel and it really drank like a red wine when i when i tried it it was i the first thing that came to mind was like ribeye steak with sauteed brussels sprouts onions and bacon mm. like this is this is a perfect food beer hungry now uh, <laughs> on on its own I, personally it was not my beer of choice and we sent it away for testing and it came back saying like it was like 5.1% and that was the first one we did. It hit me like a ton of bricks, like one of the size, like a, a five ounce uh, glass. Like I have like one of those and I'd be like, man, this is not this 5%. Is, this is not 5%. Like it really hit me. But it came back 5%. It came, it came it, back. It came back 5%. Yeah. And then the second one we did, we did the hoser actually and, and put it in to see what a light beer was going to do in a red wine barrel tank. And it went in at 5%, came out at 7. Five, I think it was, and it drank like a champagne. Like it was like it, really cool. it was bubbly. There was you know brioche and green apple and and it was like the, an Australian sparkling ale. Is like awesome. that was the that style so that good. it that it drank in, and it was really good. Um, and then the third one we did, uh, we did a, a barley wine that uh, we had local caramelized honey that went in there, and it went in at seven percent ish seven and a half by the time we bottled it it was 11.1 and it was it was we actually did a separate cask of it and we released the cast during one of our back alley concerts and we had to warn everyone on the pa we said hey listen this thing is at the time <laughs> then it was, at, at the time then it was like 9.5 and so we had to even the barley one we could only limit to a, a 10 ounce pour in the brewery just to keep it legal do you guys have restrictions on what you're allowed to pour like uh, based upon alcohol, like okay, if you get as your hosier, you can get a pint. Or no, like well, he was saying the barley wine, he can only pour a ten ounce glass. You have to yeah, pour exactly. it in a two. Yeah, yeah, because it was eleven point one percent. So yeah, so um, there's an actual alcohol restriction on as the glass to what you, you pour. can have in front of you. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it's not how much you really drink; it's more on what's in front of you. Right. Like if you, uh, the most beer you can have in front of you at one time, like from a legal serving standpoint in a restaurant, is like twenty two ounces, I think. And then it's about nine or ten ounces of wine, and three ounces of spirits. That's that's the most. Wow, three ounces of spirits. That seems sounds really small. Sounds about what the United States is. I think the United States. I mean, you get a Sazerac, and it's not three ounces. That's five ounces of straight booze. (laughs) Well, U.S. also. You guys have free. It's the. It's the. Yeah, (laughs) I can remember coming. It's the USA. First time having like a Negroni down here, and I was just like. (laughs) <laughs> we just watched him pour it. This is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Depends on where you go and who's pouring. Yeah, it exactly. Yeah. The the craft cocktail culture has gotten very much into mixing, but they're all about making a cocktail correct now. Whereas back in the day, you're like, I want a Jack and Coke. More Jack, the better. Like, where a Negroni, you don't want more Campari than gin, or like you you have to keep it exact. So measuring it is actually really important with something like Negroni. Like yeah. we did them at my house, and I just free poured it, and yeah, it's were, it's off balance. Yeah, you, yeah, balance is key, but. Alcohol in general is just so cheap down here. Like, my eyes just roll over when I, That's funny. When I come down. It's just like, oh, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting really fascinated by the alternate aging vessels that breweries are using, though. 
there's so many people doing so many different things. I mean, bourbon barrels started popping up. You're doing stuff with wine barrels. The people over at the brewery by me just did mead barrels. So they're doing different things. And I'm really intrigued by what it's doing to the product because it's doing more than just changing the flavor. It's changing the viscosity. It's changing the finish. It really is amazing what's going on in the beer business because growing up, we had one type of beer. It was either beer or beer light. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's pretty much and, it. And, and like from a wine perspective, like once you go through your malolactic fermentation and it gets transferred to barrels, like your opportunity for anything to really go wrong and once it's in the barrel, like you have to test it, but it's it, it's contained. Beer will go through like essentially the full process of making the actual beer before it goes into barrels and then it as soon as the air gets back in there again it kicks back up and it's because there's natural yeast that is inherent to beer that's just occurs in the environment and and all of a sudden it starts going wild again it's like and you asked earlier like how do you control it to yeah (laughs) oh i'm I'm glad you brought that up and and, and my answer is you don't really like so the second you put your stout into that barrel how do you stop it from you know oxidizing and and all that 19 months is crazy he just crossed both fingers fingers. it's his fingers crossed there's nothing you can do. Like it's in there. We would pull samples and taste it. And like this stout, like we pulled it out at one point and we're like, Oh, I don't know if this is going to, this is going to just cause it looked a little like there was stuff on the top of it. And we sent it away. It came back fine. Like as there's long as there's not like bad bacteria in yeah. there, like there's going to be, it's, it's active. Be like it is, it's on, it's yeah. brewing. It's, it's venting. Like you have to put a vent in the top of the I was going to say, so you can't close the bung. It's a full on like yeah, you have to have stopper. A, exactly. Yeah. Or airlock. Um, we literally had no idea except for the fact that we were tasting it as it went along and it was all, all good. And then we, before we bottled it, we sent it away for a final sample. And I mean, this one came out 7.6% and it went in at five. And yeah, it was in there for 19 months, which is a long time. And uh, like, there wasn't a lot of, it's not like spirits where if you age a whiskey for, I forget what the ratio is, but if you have 250 liter vessel, your rate of decay, because due to evaporation, it, you know, you by the time you get down to like 25 year old whiskey, it's like half eight, a barrel. Probably. Exactly. Yeah. Not even like, I think it's like way less. So. Did, you lo- did you lose a lot of? Uh... No, no. Okay. No, no. Brewers, you guys can experiment with stuff, unlike wine people, because... Like I said, if you grow all your grapes all year long, took you six months to grow them, you experimented with some new barrel just to see what happens, and it turns out bad, you just ruined your whole vintage for the year. You're screwed for 12 months. Oh, yeah. Whereas if this went wrong, at least you could start again. Well, here, I'll tell you a story of that with these two beers, the False Alarm Bitter and the Stoked Ember Ale. We were brewing the Stoked Ember, and uh, the fellow, it wasn't Joe at the time uh, who was brewing it, read the ingredients in pounds instead of kilograms. Oh, shit. And so the beer came out. We didn't know what to do with it. And so we sold it to the... We kegged it and sold it to the restaurant upstairs. And everyone started to like it. So we (laughs) said, great. Uh, Retweaked the recipe to make it what it is now and called it the false alarm bitter. And that was how that begun. Like the, The nice thing about beer versus wine is that for the most part, I mean, there are mistakes that happen. You're gonna end up with beer may not be your exactly what you were hoping for but if it's not like totally disgusting in terms of its flavor you know at the right and i'm sure it happens to not like this is our one one instance 
I'm sure it happens to breweries out there where if you, with the right marketing person, you're like, hey, wow, this is uh, this is Coors Light. What is it? <laughs> uh, yeah. New Belgium Brewing Company had their Lips of Faith. Yeah. It was one of the first commercial beers that went sour. And it, it went sour kind of by accident on them, and they shipped it, and they didn't realize it, and they started getting all these calls back about it being a sour beer, and they recalled it. Well, all these people, there's a whole group of people that loved it, and they went nuts trying to buy it off the shelves as it was being recalled because they wanted it. Now, years later, New Belgium releases their Lips of Faith series, which is a unique, soured style beer because they just capitalize on that good marketing. They realized it was a mistake, but people liked it. And I mean, that's almost how the sour became to be. Like, we actually, there was a, a batch of hoser that we did, and it came out and it looked like a hazy IPA. Tasted sour ish, but. People like that. Like, okay. Have you done any sours yet? No. Or goses or no. gosas? No. We just we just don't have the the space. Our next uh, we've got our next few beers that are are going to be coming up uh, in the Okanagan where we are is like major. Originally, it was all fruit growing regions, so it's like cherries and nectarines and peaches. Um, so we've got four hundred pounds of cherries that one of our friend uh, he grew and juiced for us as well. So we're going to do we d- have done a like a a fall cherry style beer where it was really malty and uh, very subtle on the cherry. We're going to do like a, a fresh cherry kind of hoser, if you will, um, for the spring right around to time it right with uh, our cherry season, like cherries come into ripeness sort of end of May, beginning of June. Um, so we'll do that. We'd like to do a, a scotch ale as well. And, That'd be uh, cool. I'm a big fan of scotch ales. <laughs> yeah, and one of our friends, uh, they also have an orchard and they've started to do fresh juices. So we we're also looking at doing a rattler as well for the summer. So when you do a hazy IPA, is it just because it's not being filtered, that's what makes it hazy? Or is it something you've got to actually put into it and make it that way? Speaking of which, are those in the freezer still? Oh, You should probably just at least pull them out of the freezer. Oh, wow. That's a good thing Thank that you thought about that. It just hit me. <laughs> as, he, as he left the beer as in the freezer runs. to chill down. <laughs> yeah, I just, we, we won't drink those yet, but that's just this way they're cold. Yeah, that's the one thing about drinking beer, man. It's like bathroom breaks are definitely All right, quick. Often. Let's talk shit about Dermot. <laughs> Since he's in you the other room. Dermot McDillon or Dylan McDermott? <laughs> it does sound like a celebrity name, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, from a wine standpoint, I just want to talk about the hoser for a half a second because often when you have beer, beer is very front end palate driven. It hits you with all that flavor in the front end. Yeah. And then it kind of gets sometimes weird in the mid palate and it goes away. And usually people are like, when they taste beer, it's not that first initial sip. It's the finish that kills them. Yeah. This had one of the longest finishes of any beer. that It's almost finished like a wine. It just kind of kept going and going and going and going. And to me, this was the opposite of a normal beer where the front half of the palate didn't have a ton of flavor, but it just kept drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. I could see a wine drinker, a, a great white wine drinker, really enjoying that. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the opposite with you with the WTF. I still I finished this glass about a couple minutes ago. I still taste it. You know how like you ever have a coffee where it stays on your mouth for a long time, but it's not a good taste. You're like, ugh, like I can still taste that. I could still taste the coffee, but it's so subtle that it's kind of holding that beerish coffee flavor to it. So this Wolf Tree Firehall beer. The WTF. The WTF. I love it. Dude, I, I really enjoyed it. It's actually one of my favorite coffee beers because I don't like coffee beers, but that drank like a cold brew, and I love cold brew. That's what it was because most of the time it's 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 coffee with porter, it's coffee with stout, and it's, yeah. it's dark on dark, and it makes it almost too much. Where adding a little extra coffee or adding that coffee flavor to a light beer makes it refreshing. 
versus once you throw coffee into a dark beer, it's not really refreshing. I mean, the the donut beer that I have here is good, but it's not a refreshing beer. It doesn't make you you don't want to come it's in from a working beer. a field. That's a, that's a sipping beer. But I could I could drink this out still outside. I can still drink this when it's hot out. I can still drink it during the day. You can't do that with like a, a heavy imperial stout. That is true, especially with or a the, typical this, coffee beer. Yeah, this coffee beer is a completely drinkable outside while it's hot. And you're right, there's not a lot you could do that with. Oh, we were just talking shit about the first two beers. No, no, that's great. Talk, talk, talk. It shit gave me it. diarrhea. I was saying that. I was saying that the hoser is very much a, a beer that a wine drinker could enjoy because of the finish. It's so many beers fall off, or they're the you get hit in the flavor up front and then dies. Whereas this. It just kind of kept going and going and going, and it really almost changed. Like, we talk about a wine. A wine finishes about changing multiple times over a period of the next two, three minutes, and that actually had it, which is really cool. I don't see that with a lot of beers. Usually, it's a unilateral flavor. Well, what do you guys want to try next? Uh, do you want to do the side-by-side with these guys? I'd like to send you guys home with some beer that you can, like, sit down with and, yeah. and, and, and try. Yeah, we could take at, those three home, because then we'll okay. drink them another well, you night missed, and we'll do you, our you own missed, thing. You missed the story on this one that... Uh, we were talking about mistakes and, and what happens. That's the false alarm bitter? The false alarm bitter. We were actually brewing the stoked ember, and uh, our, our brewer at the time misread the ingredients in pounds as opposed to kilos, <laughs> and the false alarm See, was it's warm. Funny. We had this conversation with, uh, I think it was the last podcast we did, where you know we were talking about if breweries mess up, you know, you could change new it. You could change it with the label no, with the right with the right marketer. Like you don't dump a batch unless there's something fundamentally wrong with it. Like you can like yeah. yeah. We've learned that in the wine business. I, I've, there's been wines that have just been horrible, but you know what? I got friends that will still drink it and still like it. I mean, on Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, I had a friend that drank a corked wine. He's like, "Can I drink this corked wine? Or can I drink this wine?" I go, "It's corked." And he's like, "What do you mean it's corked?" I'm like, "Oh, yeah. well, it's not quite right." He's like, well, will it get me drunk? I'm like, yeah. He goes, great. Can I have some? That was always one of my favorite things about working in the restaurant industry as a server was just like dealing with people with corked wine. It's like, the wine is not corked. Well, this guy. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Oh, I have a screw top. My wine is corked. No. Well, this wine was corked. This guy and his girlfriend drank the whole bottle and they loved it. There was no issues whatsoever, you know? So it's kind of personal flavor, taste. Okay. So I'm going to, I just poured out the bourbon barrel stout. Um, so this is our Holy Smoke Stout that uh, actually won uh, Best Stout in uh, in the Okanagan a couple of years ago. Uh, stout typically jet black, notes of coffee, chocolate. Uh, some of the barley that goes into that comes from a small town uh, named Bamberg, which is out of Germany, where they still typically roast the barley with fire. So it imparts a natural sort of smoky characteristic to it. Originally, all beer would have had a smokiness to it. And then it spent... Uh, 19 months in a, in a Jim Beam bourbon barrel, which a, a friend of ours who has a distillery just north of town, it was his barrel. He gave it to us to brew the stout in, uh, to do the stout in. That's and then uh, we've given him back the barrel. And now he, he's going to do a spirit in that barrel after we've done the stout in it. And then he's going to do that and make a whiskey. And then it's going to get back. Then it's going to get back to us, and we're going to just keep cycling that I like barrel. that. Everybody's back, just back, using back, this. Back I this love that. Out. That's. That's just one of those things about this. So, what's business the barrel's name? You got to give it a name now. Oh, that's a. Well, why don't you guys come up with a name? I, I, I've been. Two dollar I looked at it for for nineteen months. <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that you know back in the day it was all about beer being fresh. Everything had to be fresh. Like you had a born on date. You had a born like it was. Everything was had to be super super fresh. Where now there's a lot of people are actually doing aged beers. Uh, this brewery by my house, they. They have a beer that are serving that's another barrel aged bourbon barrel aged, but it has the canning date in the bottom. The canning date is like 
14 months ago. Boy, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't release it for at least 12 months. They left it in can before they even released it. Okay, and sorry, the other beer that we poured is called the Happy to Donut, and that is uh, the Renhouse wow. Brewing Company out of Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, it's just one of their little special releases, actually. Can I see that can real quick? Yeah, go wow. ahead. That's stout, man. Dude, I want to be sitting by a fire eating, like, some pulled pork burgers with this. It's crazy. The nose on the... It reminds me of a wine a little bit. You get that, like, that vanilla almost, mm-hmm. like, from the... That's the Jim Beam. It's bear. like a cooked vanilla. Yeah. yeah. My initial nose, I was thinking too, almost reminds me of fermenting apples, mm-hmm. which is so weird to say because it has nothing even close to, I mean, between bourbon and beer, it's not closely related to apples at all, but I it had that. Say a reductive n- wine even. Like I was kind of thinking not not what you would get from port, maybe a little Madeira, but more like a, like an open Amarone. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could see that. Actually, now that you say something along the lines of like a Madeira or something like that, it has kind of got that little bit of nose. Yeah, the t- it's cool too because the taste is different from the nose, like drastically different. Yeah, I find on the nose you get more like that vanilla, and then on the palate you I get, get like the vanilla. The, it feels like yeah. a cooked vanilla, like yeah. like if somebody did char vanilla. I like both of these. This this other Happy or, Donut is fantastic. Yeah, what's the Happy Donut? Is that Imperial? It's a Imperial Stout aged with cocoa nibs and like two or three other things. It's just one of the little one-offs. So when you pour your bourbon barrel stout, do you do nitro, uh, nitro with this? Or? No. We actually put, uh, once it came back out of the barrel, uh, we put it back in the aging tank again to, to carbonate again. Okay. Yeah. So you do forced carbonation? Uh, no, no, everything's natural. We don't, uh, okay. we don't filter. We don't pasteurize. Uh, we can. We have forced carbonated. You don't pasteurize. In the, in, so in pregnant the... ladies can't drink your beer? <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> It's uh, never ran into the problem. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't yeah. run into that problem either, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no. We c- we could force carbonate, and we have in the past if we're in like a super rush. But we like ninety nine percent of everything we just let happen uh, naturally. I feel like you have to like this barrel is going to become like the Stanley Cup of like your valley, like going everybody, back everybody and forth. Carves everybody carves it, like something. It, in it's going to be year. pretty cool, like to go back and forth. Uh, like we had it for. A year and a half he's gonna have it now for three years and then it'll be back to us if we could even go longer like because really now that we know that at 19 months we're still gonna get something pretty cool yeah. like we could potentially do like a three-year aged beer in the in the so in that in, barrel again so in that case so you gave it to a wine person for this no one, no or this is going to the it, spirits distiller person? yeah he, oh, okay. he has a, a company called dub glass distillery which uh is just north of town in gallagher lake and his noteworthy gin is so it's do ridiculous. you clean the barrel out? Like, do you steam treat it and everything? Or do you just, hey, we just literally took the beer out right now. I'm sending you this barrel. Put your stuff in it immediately. Or We gave it a clean, and then we gave it to him, but not like a steam clean to get rid of the flavors. It was just... Yeah, because I was asking, like, I, I know I he, steam he wanted clean that, barrels. And he wanted that that stout yeah. characteristic to be in there. Yeah. So he just makes you just wash the interior yeah. and... Okay. So none quick, of, quick and dirty. Now I'm the, curious of how his whiskey's going to turn out. Like. I know, right? That's what I'm thinking, too. Either way, you know what's going to be funny is there's going to be, like, 40 years down the line, that barrel's going to get hoard out to everybody, and one day somebody's accidentally going to do something with it and be like, oh, guys, you're not going to believe what happened to this poor barrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to give it, like, an ordinary name like something like steve like it it has to have like it's gotta be betty (laughs) yeah it has to have like a normal ordinary name like yeah it was one of those things it was a real talking point for me at the brewery and it was always one of like i'd always be like oh 
sometime soon we're gonna be uh, how about, we're, we're gonna be putting this into bottle. How about Celine? Since Celine Dion is your most famous Canadian singer, tattooed between my shoulder blades. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> between your shoulder blades, not on your lower back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Couple beer, one sip of bourbon barrel stout. We're finding all hey stuff, man, this this is, stuff above right. Dermot. This thing is oh, called right. spilling the truth. Yeah, I'm a closet Celine fan. <laughs> is every Canadian a closet Celine fan? She's one of the those Canadian artists that was probably a lot more successful outside of Canada than ever inside. <laughs> I can't speak. The, the, she was, I'm sure, well adored, but like, I mean, her residency in Vegas is like 30. still going on these yeah, days. Wow. Yeah. I know. There's a four hundred million like, dollars. Rush was another band, like a oh, Canadian yeah, band. That, I mean, they were revered in Canada too, but like hugely popular outside of uh, outside of Canada. Um, Canada has great comedians. They yeah. really do. Like some of the best comedians, John Candy, M- Mike Myers, Mike Myers. Is yeah. uh, what's his name yeah. uh, from? What's the beer movie? Strange Brew. Yeah. Strange Brew. Rick Moranis. Is, is Mark, Rick Moranis I don't Canadian? think so. I don't know if he's I Canadian. I don't know. I think the other, f- and he's always the other fella. They also uh, have Terrence and Philip. <laughs> so real quick about the stout. I just want to yes. give you the stats on just so you know what it is. Uh, it's a 9% Imperial stout. They added over a uh, pound per barrel of cocoa nibs from Ghana. And then it says, and we added a few of the fattest Madagascarian vanilla beans we could find. Yeah, I, I, I really like that beer. I think that's fantastic. I, I'm and and stout is something to me that I'm I, I don't really sit down and, and drink a whole lot, uh, but I, I'm I, surprised. I, like I, both. I figured Canadians would be into deep dark stouts, porters yeah, a lot. Dark so despair of our winters. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Maybe just. Uh, well, yeah, dark I think about this way. Stout. I think for the way I eat and the way I drink is based on the weather. When it's hot out, I don't want to have. Big no, heavy Thanksgiving dinner, and things. I don't want to be having yeah. big red wines. I don't want to drink. I don't drink yeah. stouts in July in Arizona, but yeah. sure as hell when it's December and it's cold out, I'm stouts, I'm porters, I'm big steak dinners, braised meats. I, I, I look at the like the, you know, you take a year's worth of sales out of the brewery in terms of pint sales, and I mean you do see and wholesale too a little bit. You do see a big spike of stout in the winter time, and and that's just a fact of like. What you said, it's dark beer time, it's uh, snuggle by the fireplace. Um, just personally, I'm I'm more of, like the darkest I like to really get is like an, a, a really dark IPA or something like that. And I'm pretty happy. It's yeah, for the most part, I, I, I because I own a brewery, I try to limit my beer intake, otherwise, I'll be like 700 pounds. And yeah, uh, it's funny because we were talking about this uh, the more you drink the. In the industry, the bigger every ten, everybody tends to be, but you see a lot of like brewers in there. I've seen a couple of them who are good friends of mine over four year period. You're like, dude, you've been packing away. He's like, I'm here six days a week. I can't stop drinking everything with everybody and eating all my food. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the dangers you you run in any like restaurant industry. It's it's always well, you got three kids, you got to chase them around all the time. So yeah, and I don't really have the time to sit down and enjoy a beer. It's like you know, now I'll have like a vodka soda or <laughs> I'll go yeah. straight for the hard stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like my day needs to end now. Uh, or like a you know a glass of like I'll, I'll drink wine more than I drink beer because uh, you're in the beer business too. I guess it's sure, always around. It, you gotta have just. I'm in the wine business. I, I, see, I drink a lot of beer. It, exactly, and I and I see the majority of the wine winer, the wine professionals in our region. They drink beer 
probably 10 to 1 over over a glass of wine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But think about it too. If you're in the wine business, you're barrel sampling and trying your product, but there's not necessarily a lot of calories. But in the beer business, you're constantly trying. Plus, you have a new batch all the time. Plus, do you guys, I'm assuming you have food at your place. Uh, no, food really? we don't. Food no. trucks or something? We, wow. we, we, in the summertime, like I, when I met you guys, I think our, our goal is to have food at the brewery and we did have a fella a friend of ours uh, who's got a food truck called the wienery where he's doing like some really cool <laughs> gourmet hot dogs uh he parked his food truck there for the summer oh, I love that name. Uh, yeah no it's just killer hot dogs yeah. too and uh it's either a food truck or a uh porn van <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say or a, is, is, or a driving <laughs> felony is it a is it a white van with no windows it's a it's a it's a white white trailer there's with, a small no hole on the side of the van that the wieners come out of <laughs> the wienery <laughs> it's a scene out of porkies I, think. I don't think i can get away with that in phoenix uh, and then we've got another friend of ours he's got this massive airstream uh like trailer that was renovated in the front with an engine's been put into it, he brings his food up there too. So, we we, we tried with questioning uh, our friendship here going on. <laughs> no, we we try and like uh, Danielle and That's I have awesome. actually started. Uh, my wife, uh, we've started a, a nut company called the Thirsty Snacker Food Company uh, because we had a hotel approach us in the spring. Uh, maybe I told you guys this. One so, I, do you get the wienery out of your nut company? I was I was, <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> I wondered. Yeah, I was. I was gonna say all you serve is wieners and nuts. Apparently, you set that one up too easy. They're gonna uh, recently later on uh, release a beer called Franks and Beans (laughs) from Firehall. Totally. Now we're onto something here. Franks and Beans, I like. That's a good one. Uh, Yeah, no. So we've provided started this company for nuts, and uh, so we're doing snacks there, and yeah, we're just trying to give people more and more options. It's just about people keep staying at the brewery and uh, having fun yeah the the brewery by my house they have they serve jerky and like two or three types of gourmet popcorn right jerky. that's what they have yeah they have jerky and popcorn in there they don't make it themselves they get it from some, oh, lo- some oh, from a local oh. person in my mind i thought they were making it and i was like wait what <laughs> yeah no i'm i don't know who's making their popcorn but they have like like a caramel bacon popcorn and like a sea salt popcorn and then like some crazy spicy chili you know beef jerky because i mean nice spicy salty food you're just gonna drink more yeah, no, our, our full intention is to have uh, an all-encompassing experience in the near future at uh, Firehall Brewery, which we're looking forward to. Well, I like the idea of just having food trucks because you don't have to worry about then being a restaurant. You don't have to worry about a whole other form of our, service. Our problem in Oliver is that there's only three, so you can run your... Well, how I mean, often can you drive a food truck around? Like, you got to lose at least like two months, I imagine, with snow and weather and stuff. Oh yeah, no, no. Like the majority, our, our, like the wienery and vagabond. There, it's a it's a food April, snowplow. Yeah, a- April to <laughs> snow, snow truck October, and food truck or a plow truck and food truck in one. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, this barrel aged stout is crazy. Like honestly, this is a whole bunch of unique flavors that I don't think you could pull out of a stout. For me, it really is. It's a wine drinker's beer. Actually, all these have been because so many beers are unilateral. They're very straight laced. They're one flavor that just goes on for a certain period of time and drops off. Versus, versus, especially this stout. There's so much. Every sip is different. I was actually thinking about it opening up because we drank a beer the other night that when we first drank it, it was okay. After about 20 minutes, it completely changed. It was like a wine. It, all the flavors came out. It started to warm up a little bit. Yeah, temperature has a lot to do with that, too, I think. And I started thinking of that about this beer, that after it being barrel-aged and 
corked up or, you know, capped up for all this period of time, like, after an hour, this is probably going to be a different beer. Oh, yeah. And that's been our experience with barrel age anything is that the longer it it stays open and the warmer it gets, it it totally trans. It's like wine that way. Like you're taking not so much with the bourbon barrel in this case, but like in the in the red wine barrels, like it, they really have absorbed. And it's funny, like we, we didn't expect it when we did like the hoser for the second batch um, into the barrels. We were expecting some discoloration, like it would perhaps get a little bit darker. Um, but it came out crystal clear. It almost came out clearer than it went in. Was it a new barrel or this was a used? No, barrel? no, these were used. These were, um, I'd, you got, I, I could follow up with you on that. I'm just guessing off the top of my head, they've been probably used with the winery that gave them to us three or four times, uh, before that for Cabernet and, and Malbec for the most part. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to try doing some barrel age things on your own that are brand new barrels? Or are you just going to try and uh, incorporate certain flavors with We what could. You're doing? It's it's easier for us and a lot more cost effective. To, oh yeah, to, cost effective is way better to, used. To, to get to get the used ones. I really want to um, send you a barrel I have. I do uh, ports in some of my barrels, but we do a chocolate port cuz we ooh, use be nice. distilled coca beans and stuff and um man, it, it leaves that sugar like coating around the edge. So it sweetens out anything you put into it. So once the port goes into it, the barrel's done for any other wine stuff, unless we do more port. So we've extracted all the oak flavoring out of it. But, you know, I, one year, uh, Buddy and I, we took uh, the one gallon barrels for fun and I put all of our port into it. And then we put tequila into it when we were done and we kept it for ourselves. And the tequila came out in this, you know, brown, nutty oxidized look to it and it was probably the best tequila we'd ever had because it that it sweetened out the tequila so it wasn't kicking your ass when you were drinking it and it was awesome so i would love to try a beer or like a porter or a stout in that i've seen there's a, a brewery called uh, four winds out of vancouver where they've done a couple of brews in tequila casks and it feels like that'd be rough it does i haven't tried them but they they have they have been out there i don't know you think that Aging a beer in a whiskey cast would be rough too, but it's not like. But it kind of kind of beer and whiskey like, has a little bit more unification yeah, to it. Bourbon and stout like, kind of goes together. Tequila's tequila doesn't tequila's unify tequila. really with much except tequila and prison zone. sentences go hand in hand. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You get like a little bit of smokiness out of some of them, and like if you get like actually a good whether it's maybe a mezcal or even like an añejo barrel or something. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's some things that get incorporated nicely because you said this was Jim Beam, right? Or just yes. Jack Daniels? No, Jim Beam. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's some things that come together that just go hand in hand, which God, is. That's such a crazy nose. I mean, I can't it's... even describe it. There's just so much going on. I mean, it's. it's... It, it is. It's a wine drinker's stout right there. It's exactly what I'm getting with, with this. It tastes delicious. Like, I just can't stop coming away from an awesome barbecue party. Yeah, I think that next time that we get, when we get the barrel back from our Grant Steveley, he'll. Uh, I'd like to try to make it go longer. I was gonna say, can you? Can you go 19? Maybe the next time you do 24. Maybe I'll have I, a. I, for us, it was just a matter of like we were gonna bottle it after a year, and then we just got busy and didn't couldn't really work it into the rotation. It's just kind of lingering and, in the back, of and the it just sort of sat there. And all of a sudden, <laughs> we're like, holy cow, this thing's like 19 months old. Let's let's get it in. And, and then it was coming up on Christmas, 
So it was like, okay, let's get it out for, for oh, Christmas. Yeah. And it's crazy because if you guys are swapping it back and forth, you're really only going to do a beer out of it once every three or four years. Yeah, because no, it'll, it'll take him three years. Uh, his whiskey's come out for the first, his three-year-old whiskey's come out for the first time uh, this June or July will be his third anniversary. So as soon as he started distilling, he put whiskey into barrels and then he's developed this gin recipe, which has just proved to be like ridiculously successful. Uh, so this will be his first first year for whiskeys coming. And then up. if you get it back and hold on to it for let's yeah, go like say twenty four months, yeah, that'd be that's awesome. a five year time between yeah. this this stout and your next one. And all those flavors will just leach into that barrel. It'll be it'll be nice. You got to make like a fish reference and sling it at the. I'll be we'll be somewhere in Spack and someone's like, man, I got that twenty four year old Firehall Brewery <laughs> stout. I'm like. How much you want for that? Fifty bucks? <laughs> Shit. Okay. Think about it too. I mean, literally, it's it's a beer that can only be produced once every five or six years. Yeah. yeah. And what is so? It's a fifty-five gallon or a sixty-gallon? What did you uh, say? Two hundred and fifty liters. Okay, so that's a little two twenty-five. Fifty-five. Yeah. It's, it's a wine barrel. It's a wine barrel. Yeah. yeah. So twenty-three cases of wine at twelve bottles, and you're doing a few ounces. We got twenty-five so. out of out of ours because we're six hundred and forty mils versus seven fifty. Yeah, that's crazy. And everything was bomb. I'm assuming you put some into keg. No, we didn't keg any of it. Oh, you just bottled all no, of it we straight. we just bottled all of it. To put it into kegs, when you're doing a big batch is one thing, but on a small batch like that, like you, you're going to have time. loss in the lines as well. And like we're working with just like so such a small amount. It's like, let's just, just bottle go it all. Okay. We don't have to worry about losing anything. That's awesome. I you got Your your guy did a fantastic job with this one. I'm really, that really was all, all the barrel. <laughs> that was... We, all right, we, fine. Why, or uh, we, we, brewer, we, 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 you didn't we, do anything. We, we lost all control over it as soon as we put it in the barrel. And uh, again, that's the thing with the beer in because it's exposed to air and like it's gonna it referments. You, you, I don't know if you can stop that or not. I've never actually researched it to see if there's a way to do that. Yeah, I mean, like, do you add sulfites but, to it to stop it? Yeah, or you wouldn't I, do I don't that know. though. I, I, you'd have to probably add something. And it, yeah. you know, we, we we've had like four successful batches with it why mess, why mess with, with it yeah I, I think that and we send it off to get tested it's not like we're just packaging stuff blind if we if we ever got back something that said okay hey there's really you're just looking for bad bacteria there's and, and what as would, long as you're keeping a clean brewery for the most part and a hygienic environment you're not going to really expose yourself to to those kind of issues either. So what would be a bad bacteria for beer, like lactose or what is it called? Uh, we get that lactobacillus or yeah. whatever that is. Yeah, I don't. <clears throat> I, it's never happened to us. I don't. I don't even, we we actually I made a homebrew one time, had it, and I was like, "Well, that's gross. I don't ever want to touch that." We did buy a kit once where there was like twenty bad smells that you can use in the beer industry to quickly identify problems rotten egg or yeah and nail polish nail remover, po yeah. all uh, that sort of wet stuff. dog probably brett stuff brett, like that I, yeah, yeah but brett brett's good in beer, brett, uh, beer. sorry tca brett, brett, brett <laughs> there's like yeah. there's a yeah brett is a style yeah brett is important yeah. in a lot of beer production it's bad in wine but depends on who you ask and that's the thing a lot of things in wine are good for beer it's funny how that works out that the stuff that's good for beer isn't good for wine and yeah i guess vice versa i just wonder how like I'm going to like ramble onto that. So I don't want to go it's just because it's so different, but yet it's the same exact thing. You're just fermenting something into just an alcohol substance. But in the end, you're going to have totally different styles and totally different things that can make it go bad. Like if you did what you did with your, 
barrel stout with wine, that wine would be bad because oh, it's just toxic. Sure. It'd be Madeira, <laughs> yeah. and or worse. Yeah, and that's why we wouldn't change it to try to to try to cap it. it. It that's the exciting part. You put it in the barrel, you lose control of what happens. The beer, you cross your fingers the and you air hope. and the barrel, and that's it. Yeah, love it. I'll tell you right now. I mean, I'm really stoked by these beers. I was actually. Giving you shit at the gorge, like, wait, wait, you own a brewery, but you didn't bring any of your beers <laughs> I remember, to the concert. I, I, re- I remember that. And in <laughs> hindsight, uh, I, I, I should have. It was just like, I, I don't want to get turned around. They give me so much grief when I'm going down to go see a fish co- show anyways. And especially now <laughs> that, well, it was, sorry, pot is now legal in Canada, but what, at the time it wasn't yet. So it was legal in the States. Um, and I just know so many people that like admit to something stupid that like they smoked pot like five years ago and it's like okay you're banned for 20 years from coming into the states it's like i don't want to do that with beer and i probably this guy sounds i mean you know if this is a can't answer this thing but have other people or is there plans for people to do beer and wine or like a combined like a thc beer like a thc beer i will tell you this like weed is legal in canada now we may have talked about this when we were down at the gorge canada really should have taken the states that have legalized pot down here as an example of what to do instead of just setting October 20th as the, the date, date that it becomes legal because we weren't prepared. Like, nobody's prepared. There's still... <laughs> Everybody sold out in an hour. <laughs> no, no. Like, there, like, when pot became legal, there was only one store in all of the province of BC. Oh, wow. In Kamloops, which is a wonderful city if anyone's listening from Kamloops. And small place in, in, like you know it's like maybe ten thousand people they were the first store to open in bc like we don't have a store in on oliver and there's two that are coming like penticton they're none so edibles aren't legal they're edibles aren't legal not yet no no and, and it, like, which means it wouldn't be legal to put it inside of a beverage beverage because you can't do it in america only for one reason and it's not because it's federally illegal i mean it might be the biggest reason but it's technically medicine in some places and you cannot mix right. medicine and alcohol that's I, why they can't put it together i i think that uh, we were just talking about this the other night in other provinces a million weed the, advocates there's a, losing their mind right now a friend of ours has this lined up in Ontario where they're ready to go for like a vodka and THC when edibles come down the line in BC. I don't see it ever being legal because it'll be too, it's a hard mixture. I just, I still wish that Canada like looked at the States that have used it successfully and like executed it successfully from rollout. I don't really feel like we've done that. And like edibles still aren't legal and they're still a ways down the pipe. California said the same thing though. Like they've screwed up their laws. They didn't. They didn't take the lessons that California and Washington learned when they legalized it in California. Right. You know, there's a lot of hurdles they're still trying to jump through out here. Yeah. No, that's true. And I and I I think that Canada should have done a little bit better to prepare ourselves for the like whole country legalization. Like Newfoundland or I think it was Newfoundland on the East Coast. They were prepared. You mean as the a, craziest language on the planet? I used to buy the bills about. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, you're fluent. <laughs> He's more fluent I know in many Newfoundland than uh, I know French. Many very friendly people. Very friendly people. <laughs> I mean, uh, but them as a province, they were really geared up for like to go. What else do they have to do besides fish and smoke <laughs> weed and drink, I imagine? Well, yeah. Well, and they're, all, just, they're, they're also only controlling their small area where Canada... To my friends in Newfoundland, I... I agree with them. <laughs> Canada is so big, though, too. I mean, it's 
it's such a wide open space to it's make these bigger laws. Bigger than the USA with what twenty million? Yeah, it's like thirty two or something like that. That's crazy. It's like take the population of California and add Oregon and Washington, and you're pretty pretty well there. I think it's really cool though that like I mean, weed being what it is, it's the it's the same genetic family as hops. So you could probably oh, mess around and do totally. stuff with it without getting the THC. Like if you were to take weed, grow it, well, do like a dry hopped, but instead of hops, like a dry weed thing, you'd get the flavors of it. Minus I, I think the if THC. you used, uh, like you're gonna have like a hemp. WPA, yeah, yeah. like if a weed pale like, ale eventually, like, like hemp. That would uh, like because when we go out and uh, I was talking about a the harvest ale that we do in the fall where we use the fresh hops. If you came into the brewery when our, when we had like our twenty buckets of hops in there, it smells like a yeah off. like it, it's really really pungent so damien uh when we were at az one one day says we were drinking a beer and he goes you got to try this and it was dupont saison let's try this one too yeah open that one yeah. uh and sure. dupont saison finish up a glass there boys and so he opened dupont saison and the second he cracked it i literally looked at it and was like do you have like a bag of weed on you because that's all it smelled like it was so fresh and it was so good so has the hazy IPA trend hit Canada? Yes, to a certain degree. Not as much as it is down here. Um, there is a company, uh, a brewery in Vancouver called Superflux, and they do a lot of hazy IPAs, and they're popular. It's crazy it, what's going on right now in the, 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 the cult beer world. I mean, essentially, when you're looking at like a hazy IPA, yes, it's not filtered, but it's there is a lot more hops that go into these beers than, Saving that for later. than anything... Than like even an IPA, you're just you're hopping the crap out of the beer, and not filtering it, and but you're using the right hops, and like I don't even know what the hops are in here, but you're gonna get. I don't think they put. They might not put it on the can. If I look it up, they on their Facebook page sure, you're or gonna, their social you're media, you're gonna get a ton of hops that their natural flavor characteristics are. These people, grapefruit, like the super citrus and stone fruit hops. Do you get to try those? Like, do you get? The ability to people will send you, I guess, um, sample packs. Yeah. So like in my, sure, people, people will send, send me samples, oak chips. Yeah. yeah I get yeah. oak chips to try to see what their actual barrels yeah. or staves stuff. So they'll send you like a bag of hops and say, Hey, try this. And like, what, what do you do? Like a three gallon batch, five gallon batch or something with it. See right away. Just even breathing that in, like just on the inhale, like there's a lot of hops. Which, in which one is this? Like they're this using, binder. like if we're doing, it's pa- oh yes, yeah, they're IPA. Okay. When, when we're done, actually, I'll look up what type of hops because when they post on their social media, they actually post it, it, every brand where they get it from. Like they're really particular. And about all that. all the f- flavor characteristics will all be that sort of citrus fruit, um, yeah. hoppy notes, and there's just a ton of them. You just can't filter them out. Like especially when they're pelletized and you get them in the boil, and they just disintegrate. So it's 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 in there. Like yeah, it's, it's in, in there. there. It's great because I've seen some beers. Um, I know McFade had one one time, but they do single hops. Like they're like, this is the Mount Edna uh, hops from Oregon, and that's it. That's the only one we use from start to finish, so you can get that flavor with this uh, this IPA. And then the next one was a uh, one from like Minnesota, and another one was from somewhere in Canada. So they had three IPAs, all with three different hops, so you could see the hop characteristic, kind of like a single vineyard Pinot Noir. Like this Pinot Noir is made from this hill. This Pinot Noir is made from this hill. But we make it all kind of the same, like same barrel aging, same everything. But the site will speak for it. Or even when the hops ha- are kind of like that it, for IPAs. Sure. Yeah, when you have that vineyard that has three Pinot Noirs, one's done at the base of the hill, one's done medium at the hill, and one's at the very top of the hill. Those are three completely different profiles. Mm-hmm. It's crazy different. <clears throat> oh yeah. This brewery does a lot of hazies. A lot of hazies. I, I like this one as well. They've 
balance. They're, they're two for two. Well, yep. for, for me, when it comes to booze, whether it's I'm drinking a Negroni, whether I'm drinking a wine, balance is the most important thing for me. Yep. If something is off in the mid palate, something's off at the end palate, it really ruins the product overall. And that was actually what I was talking when you were away about the hoser is the fact that it's a balanced product across the board. There's no part of that that makes it go, hmm, I like the beginning and the finish, but the middle is weird. Yeah, and there's, but there's no part of that beer that's designed to be offensive. It's just like, yeah, it's, this is it's a good, ga- it's a good gateway drug to a, to a craft brewery. <laughs> totally. You know, just come in and have a sip. So what's your favorite beer? Like minus, mm. you know, what you drink. Do you like to go, you know what? I am a Blondale person. I am a, you know, Pilsner person. I'm a IPA guy. What's, what's yours? I, I, it's it's mood specific like me for wine I, I can pinpoint my best wine sip ever um, I can't do that with a beer uh, right, you, so you did have a beer that went oh man I really need to open a brewery now no my favorite uh, wine uh, was a 1997 uh, Le Chez from uh, Lucien Lemoyne and uh, I was at a I was at the restaurant I was working at called Blue Water Cafe in Vancouver. Beautiful restaurant. And the couple that ordered the bottle left my friend and I like half of it. That's Just awesome. he, they said to us, they're like, you guys have to try this. And we went to the back and I like <laughs> I've never had a it was it was it was ridiculous. First of all, it was a white and I'm like, oh, there's no way that this is gonna right? rival anything I've ever tried. And then all of a sudden it was just like, oh my God. And then that was just around the time that my wife and I were meeting. She was my boss, and uh, <gasps> oh wow, uh, yeah, kept, kept kept dropping the corkscrew in front of the office until she <laughs> said hello. Oh, excuse and me, I just need to pick this awesome. up. <laughs> and uh, she was gonna get me that bottle for Christmas. She's like, "Remember what was that bottle that you and Scotty said were just was just the best?" And I told her, and then she tried to find it, and of course, it's like a thousand bucks. I'm like, "Don't, oh. don't, don't spend a thousand dollars on it." bottle of wine for me right now do that a couple years maybe yeah, yeah. anniversary times uh, coming up when we have our kid yeah but that was kid, that was my best kid. white i can still pinpoint my best red as well my wife's brother and brother uh he lived in melbourne for 20 years in australia and he bought this pub and in it was a bottle of 82 grange when he took it over or no sorry 81 grange and when Danielle and I got married, he gave that to us as a wedding present. He's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't drink wine. You guys will appreciate this. And I carried it around for, with us for like special occasions, coming down here or going to, you know, just desperate to drink it. Finally, on Danielle's 40th, we cracked it open. And that was, that was probably the best red, red awesome. experience I've ever had as well. Yeah. That, that is awesome. That's yeah. what's special about wine and beer and that memory is attached to that beverage you drink, mm. especially if you get it. Okay, later sorry. On. I will. Def- I will give you the best beer I've ever em. had. <laughs> it took it, one it, more it, sip. It just. It just came to me. <laughs> well, it was more like what's as what's my favorite beer as opposed to what's what's the best beer I've ever had. And we were on honeymoon in Hawaii, and we were going around uh, the road to Hannah and Maui. It was super super hot, and we were out off of the paved roads. Now we we're on the dirt stuff. And you come to a point, and there's just this little corner store in the middle of nowhere, and it's like 38, or sorry, high 90s, low 100s. I walk in, and you know, he, he has, just telling people he has the, make them learn. this, the, it was like the Kona, Kona Brewery or whatever. Yeah, Kona the, Brewery, the, Fire the Rock. And it was the two coldest beers I've ever held in my hand. And Danielle and I sat outside and like gazed across at the big island, and I was just like, 
this is the best beer ever. Okay, had. I have to say this because the pale ale that got drinking that me got that got me onto drinking pale ales was Fire Rock from Kona, and I was in San Diego, and one of the breweries had it on. I think like they had just bombers or bottles of it because they didn't have it on tap. And they were closing, and the lady was like, hey, like we're done. I don't have anything. I was like, I just want a beer. Like, me and my buddy Super out there. And I was just like, I just want a beer. And she was like, all right, well, here. just." And she grabbed a bottle and handed it to me. Him and I went to the beach and drank this thing. And it was the first time I had a pale ale. Before I had an IPA, I, you know, I was drinking Rolling Rock and you know, Natty Ice because it's Arizona's beer. I was like, oh, that's what a beer is supposed to taste like. I didn't know it here. There was more flavor to it than just, you know, bullshit beer in the case of a Bud Light or Rolling Rock. And that one got me on it. So I like that. I, I can appreciate a good Kona brewery. So, sometimes location, who you're with, it is. everything it's makes makes what it is. Yeah. And it's cool. Something about the beverage industry is that you can have that beverage again and it could transport you back to that moment. It's the experience. It really is. Yeah. It's kind of nice too because yeah. nowadays with social media, you might find somebody diving into social media. They'll be Never went to Canada, went to Okanagan Valley. My husband proposed to me while I had a bottle of hosier in my hand, best beer I've ever had. And they don't know anything about you, but that's a real possibility that at some point in some time, if you have a million people come through your door over the entire life of your brewery, one person, you're going to get that one person who at least was like, man, the beer that got me drinking beer was from Fire Hall and it was their, you know, bourbon oh, get, barrel stout it's, or it's whatever. Like you get, We get people from all over the world and it's like, all of a sudden you get like, I, I follow Untapped, which is uh, oh, right. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yep. I used to take those reviews really seriously. And then I thought about it and I was like, okay, well, we make so many beers and somebody might love one and hate another and they're reviewing yeah. them all and that's their... Do you have the same thing? Yeah. <clears throat> my, my big thing was like, if somebody came in and reviewed the experience that they had in the beer shop and, re- and that reflected negatively, then I'd have an issue because we train everybody to be, you know, we're hospitable, we provide good service. People aren't leaving unhappy, even if they didn't like a beer. Uh, but like it's like all over the world. Like I get reviews and it's like untapped from Stuttgart, and I'm like, how the hell does somebody get it from Stuttgart? But it's like somebody that came through, that bought a beer, and then took it back to home to Germany, and then they're reviewing us when they opened it in Stuttgart. Tell you, these beer people right now are they're like the old baseball card collectors. Oh, it's or they're crazy. like it really is like. You get a beer, and it's so important. You're like, I got one. It's a special edition. They only made 250 bottles. I'm gonna take this back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It, it's a big deal for people right now in beer. And you, growing up, it was all about paps with ribbon, shitty beers, and it wasn't a collector item. But now it really is, and it's something people cherish. Like the beers that I buy from certain breweries, I look at them in my fridge. I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna drink that with this person next to my seat. I'm like, I'm saving that. That's that that mead barrel aged lager that I had. I could not. You, sa- I, you, you saved that. For I was me. literally saving. I was like, I want John to drink this because it's like a wine. It tasted like a matcha. It really shea. was. You're right. It, it was burgundy esque. There was a matcha shea finish to it that I'd never had in a beer before, and I was so excited to try that. And like, I've never had that feeling with Budweiser or no. a mainstream. You, you drink <laughs> Budweiser, or Coors, or those those, things, those, or those are the memories you associate like, to like your first beer that you've ever had. I assumed I was riding in a pickup truck or like wave running somewhere, or floating down a river, but blowing I, up fireworks. That's what I think of when I think of Bud Light. My, my first memories of Coors was on a family road trip. I probably was about twelve. My dad was driving. We were in one of those big Ford Econoline vans down in the <laughs> states because that's the only place we could get Coors Banquet, and he's like. <laughs> 
he probably blew through like 12 beer while we were driving from like <laughs> Sandpoint, Idaho to somewhere in Montana. <laughs> didn't think anything didn't, of it. I was like, that just yeah. keeps asking for a beer. I'm tossing it to him. Right? You don't yeah. know. Yeah. Now, now you know a little bit more. Like, oh, well, he wasn't drunk, but yeah. he definitely wasn't sober. <laughs> Different time periods, too. Oh, totally. Meanwhile, yeah. if you ask you for 12 of these bourbon stouts, you'd be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> he wouldn't make it through one. Well, I think yeah. you mentioned earlier about people coming into the uh, retail shop, how they might buy one of your beer, and then they turn around, they still buy 12 of Milwaukee's Best. I think that is still that people enjoy to drink. They don't necessarily want to be drunk. So sometimes lower alcohol is actually better. I I go both ways, because sometimes yeah. Yeah. I, I go up to the brewery by my house, and most of their beers are 6 or 7% alcohol, and I drink two or three of them, and I'm, that's, ha- that's and I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's other days when I'm hanging out with my friends, and I just want to drink beer all day long. Yeah. I want to be on a beach. I don't want to have a 7% IPA hanging out with my friends on the beach at noon and be asleep by 2 in the afternoon. I want to drink a 3% alcohol beer. I want there's a There is a place in the world for people like Peroni. I totally well, yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, that, those I totally session agree. beers, those yeah. 4% ones. Like, I... Peroni and I, Stella. But I we mean, drank again, those, by the way, before we started this. <laughs> these are green bottle beers, which gives the flavor. You have these beers on tap, and they lose that just edge of skunkiness. You take Heineken, Bex, Peroni, Stella, all the green, uh, all the green bottle beers, and it's the way the the way the light reflects, reflects, refracts, refracts <laughs> through the green be- bottle that causes that little bit of skunkiness. I really yep. now that you say that. It makes so much sense because yep. all those beers have it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. The size on the Heineken, Peroni, and, and Stella, if you if you Rolling take Rock. a bottle of Peroni or Stella or Heineken, whatever, and you go into a bar and you have one side by each, you will notice that they're completely different in that the or skunkiness is max. Tap versus bottle. I love that we yep. do these and learn something new each time. Like the last that's, one we that's had. That's the biggest problem for beer, is light. That is like one of the. The killers. The, the killers. And the green transforms that flavor to that skunkiness. Yeah, because it's not a brown bottle and it's not a clear bottle. Because yeah. the only clear bottles I can think of is Corona and Miller Highlight. I, I don't know it. why that is, but that's the reason. Because you're going to drink it yeah. 36 hours after it was made. Probably. And if it goes if it goes bad, it tastes better. That's why you add a lime to it. Well, and, and like I personally will... I, I prefer Peroni or Stella out of the bottle because I don't mind that skunkiness. Like, it, it's kind of what I know. It's like I grew up with, with that flavor profile, right? Rolling rocks. But yeah. Any, anything green will have that characteristic to it. So you need to do, like, a one green bottle series just out of nowhere. Not a bad idea. Just do, like... That would be actually kind of cool to do a hoser in in a green bottle. And actually, like, you can almost call it that, like the green bottle blender, the green bottle, the green bottle bomber. St. Patrick's Day next year. Yeah, the green bottle bombers. That's a good idea. Something like that, and actually have a little skunky version. I like that. All right, you guys want to... you guys been awesome. You guys want to wrap this up? Yeah. yeah. Sure. That was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So final notes, I'll tell you, man, I really enjoy your beers. I really look forward to trying more. I need to figure out a way to work out a trade and get uh, cheap shipping to You guys got to come up, uh, like I mentioned before, like... We're in the wine capital of Canada. We can, we can hit. You guys can hit a couple of wineries and spend the couple of days. Down. That's something I definitely. You don't have to do. worry about expenses. We live there. You can. So we fly into what'd you call it? Kelowna. Kelowna. Kelowna, which is a cool town in itself. Kelowna. Kind of the start of the wine region. Although up north, it's more where they are. It's more Pinot Noirs and whites. And then as you get down to us, how far, how far are you from Spokane? Three hours. 
Yeah, it's about equal distance for me to drive to the gorge. Or I, I only wonder just because is it easier for me to drive? Like, if we probably be a Spokane, heck of a lot cheaper to to fly to Spokane than it would be to fly up. to or to Seattle and drive. I mean, if you guys are ever going to come up, make it. I got to clean. I mean, as long as you have no DUIs, you could drive right in, no problem. Well, yeah, as long as you have a passport. Right, but yeah. if you have a DUI, you're not allowed in Canada. Six I years. I know that it's it's that way for us going down to the states. So it yeah, might be it, it, the it, same it, with it's six it, years. I know for yeah. a fact it's that way going yeah. to Canada. Oh, okay, yeah. there you go. I know that my sister's boyfriend at one point he had a DUI and he's basically banned from the states. Yeah, situation. I've had friends. Uh, we, that, had, yeah. we had a buddy in when my dad lived in Fort Niagara. Same thing. He owned a bar in Canada. Well, he owned it in Buffalo. He lived in Canada. He got a DUI and they basically evicted him out of Canada for six years. Yeah, depending on when you guys go, like fly to Seattle or fly to Spokane, come up. I mean, it's how's your skiing beautiful. up there? I just got into it recently, and I love it. <laughs> well, you got Whistler oh, is one of the greatest, but that's so in BC. Our, our local ski hill, which is in BC as well, like we had a meter of snow in like two days. How far is Whistler from you? Uh, far enough. It's, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, six and a half hours. Oh yeah, oh, yeah so that's far enough. That's, no, no, that's you're better. Diego, you'd, you'd, better yeah, off, yeah. you'd be better off going to Big White, which is outside of Kelowna. It's a killer ski hill too. Yeah, so. yeah. Or, or you pass like. Oh, three, there's four. snow, beer, and good people around me. I'm happy. Yeah, that'd be fun, yeah. man. Do a little snow adventure. Go up there, have a hosier, followed by some stout. Yeah, I mean, my, I, I, go, honestly, go check end, out the BC wineries. Like, well, I'll put you in touch with them, and you guys. Well, can, if we're coming into. Wine we could have country. a real big to do where there's like. 12 I, it sounds like this friends. guy wants to drink some wine with us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like, I got enough beer. Yeah. No, I mean, my, I mean, my final thoughts on this was I love the hosier. It's honestly beyond the name. It's fantastic, but that is a perfect light drinking beer. The WTF Coffee Blondale. Um, so that that might have been my favorite one of all of these because I love cold brew, and that was like a beer with cold brew in it, and the finish on that one was so nice. Like, who does that with a uh, I was telling him, like, I've had coffee beers where the coffee stays and you're just like, okay, I, I taste bad coffee. That wasn't that at all. And then this stout is so weird. It's like hitting my geeky level of, I love it. I want to eat this with food. I haven't even drank the last bit because I want to see if this changes over the next hour. Both Jonathan and I did the same thing. We left our last sip to the side to let it warm up to see how yeah, it changes. Yeah, got to try that. Couldn't and I can't wait to try these other ones. Well, we'll do a thing where on our uh, one of our next few Keep podcasts, in mind that the blonde is our best seller and that these long. two are cousins yet. Yeah. Stylistically, awesome. the bitter is like a British style pale ale, and the stoked ember is like a Northwest well, depend, Pacific Northwest style. Depending pale. on John's like thoughts. a follow up thing. I was going to say, yeah, we like should like probably follow up episode, like an hour long episode where we do a follow up. We'll probably just something. do another episode where him and I just record with us, and we'll just drink the beers on that show and talk yeah. about them on that show. Perfect. Yeah, you know, yeah. we'll make up things about you, like you personally dive in the tank, <laughs> swim around a little bit in there. It won't be as good looking because we don't have you here, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> This was awesome, man. Right, I'm glad yeah, we uh, we drove to, we this. drove to, we drove four hours to record a show. Yeah, we got kids in the background, awesome. lawnmowers and beers. It's fantastic. It's a, it's a family experience. It's a family no, affair. No doorbell rings. We had three phone, phone calls, phone calls and, and, and a mom in the refrigerator. I, I love it too. She looked over and she was like, "Oh my bad." That's the most mom <laughs> moment awesome. of everything. Very cool. Thanks, Dermot. Right, really guys, appreciate everything. Dermot, this awesome, was awesome. Thank Thanks you. everybody for listening. Okay. Awesome. Cheers. Good day.